Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. <laughs> BFFT. Here's John Canzano with a bald-faced truth. Woke up this morning, got coffee, breakfast, you know, kids off to school, last day of school in our household. Don't know about your kids, but was the last day of school, everybody was excited about it. I wrote about this today at johnconzano.com, but I was all set to write about what the Blazers should do in the draft. It's true, I have thoughts about that. The lawyers just threw a championship parade. Eight players who were originally drafted from the franchise on the championship float, so to speak. Eastern Conference champion Boston also had eight original draft picks. So what I'm saying was I was all ready to write about, hey, you got to keep the pick if you're the Blazers. You got to draft well. I also was focused on the Hillsboro Hops. A little birdie told me that the single-A Hillsboro Hops were about to announce that the same team that built Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, same team that's transforming Research Stadium in Corvallis, that that team, Mortensen, SRG, and Populous, three-headed design and build team, that that team will be the design team for the Hillsborough Stadium expansion project. Oh, yeah, I was ready to talk about those two things in print and also the pay bump that Oregon State's football assistants got. How about this? The Beavers' salary pool for the upcoming season has been bumped up to $4.3 million. That's an increase of $340,000 from last season. So some raises going out at Oregon State. The big winner, offensive line coach Jim Mahalchek, who we should get on the show. He is such a good coach. He is the engineer of that lethal run game that Oregon State has featured in the last couple of years. Mahalchek uh, was a critical retention for Jonathan Smith. He'll make $575,000 next season. That's a $100,000 raise for Jim Mahalchek, the offensive line coach, former Cal offensive line coach. He'll get $600,000 next season, two seasons from now, and I think the guy's worth every penny. So I was ready to write about those things, but I just couldn't. I couldn't get myself there. Not with the last day of school, not with the uh, six-year-old bouncing off to kindergarten for the last day, She will no longer be a kindergartner at the end of the school day. So it was my last day as a dad with a kindergartner. Three daughters, youngest daughter going out the door. You know how that is if you've got kids. Uh, Also, the eight-year-old bouncing off for her final day of what was second grade. They were just having a half day, probably uh, just getting to say goodbye to friends. They were kind of bittersweet. I mean, I think they were happy about the opportunity to connect with their classmates one last time. But I also think that there was uh, some sadness uh, because I think this last school year for kids was particularly uh, unifying and galvanizing. They bonded. 
in a way maybe that the, the classes in the kindergarten and first grade classes uh, that my third grader, second grader, and soon to be third grader, uh, she didn't get to bond really in the last two years because of you know what. Like they were distance learning. They weren't together or they were masked up or they were having to go to recess and shifts so they didn't share equipment. I mean, it was just ridiculous kind of what their experience has been, if you really think about it, especially like the six-year-old who has like, you know, her formative years, the years that she now remembers are the last couple of years. And I'm just glad that the kids that in our state and kids in our country got a chance to be kids again this last year, feel mostly like kids again and get a quote-unquote normal experience. So they were going out the door this morning, and uh, Sojourner, the youngest, put on some lipstick to celebrate, candy red, and then she looked at us like, are you guys going to stop me? Her mom and I looked at each other, and then we kind of decided it wasn't worth the battle. I wrote all about it today. I'm not going to bore you with it, but I'm reminded today uh, uh, of sort of the transitions that kids make. And I want to get to all that other stuff. I want to get to the sports. I want to talk about the Blazers. We've got a draft here that we are 24 hours away from. I want to talk about college football. And we're going to talk about it on today's show as we sort sort of uh, set the stage for a summer that will be really important for all these teams. I want to talk about that stuff. And I want to talk about what's going on in Hillsboro. Good for Hillsboro. City of Hillsboro, they're making big plans. They're not sitting around waiting for Portland or waiting for Beaverton or waiting for Tigard or – or, or Salem to to get its act together. They've decided that you know they're just gonna they're gonna renovate and put fifty million dollars into Hillsborough Stadium. We have to talk about what that's gonna be and what that's going to mean. Stadium capacity for the single A team will expand from forty five hundred to around six thousand, but it signals that Hillsborough wants to be a player in other ways. I'll talk about that later in the show. But as the two young ones were going off to school. I sat down to write, got my laptop out, and, and many of you know, look, I left the newspaper that I was writing for for the last 20 years, and part of the reason why I left and I'm on my own is that I wanted to write about what I want to write about in the morning. I don't want somebody telling me, hey, here's what's you know going to get clicks, or here's what we want you to go cover, or here's what we think is important. No, I have a blank slate in front of me, and the only person that is telling me what to do when it comes to that writing endeavor is me. It's that voice that is inside of me. And so that voice was telling me, hey, you idiot, the story's right in front of you. Your two littles are going out the door, going off to school. It's their final day of this year. You got your 19-year-old home from college after her freshman year. I can remember on this show uh, talking about dropping her off at the dorm at Oregon State she was living in Callahan Hall, and she was all excited about meeting new friends and being on her own. And I remember coming on the radio show that following Monday and talking about how, like, you know, I had this realization as we were moving her into the dorm in September. I had this realization that we were having very different experiences. Like, I was looking backward. Think about this. As a parent, when you're dropping off your kid at college, especially if it's your first kid that you're dropping off at college you uh, you realize that you're looking back you're clinging to your kid's childhood I won't blame you if in the weeks that preceded your child going off to college you looked through their old yearbooks or their baby books or you looked at baby photos to remind yourself I don't blame you for that but I was looking backward and I was sad because the transition for her from 
high school to college uh, gave me a sense of loss, right? Childhood ending. She's going off. She's no longer going to be in the room down the hallway where I have to say, hey, it's getting late. You might want to turn your light out. Uh, or I'm not there to help with a math problem. Or, hey, is this... Uh, is this uh, you know, correctly punctuated, or can you give my essay a read? So I was looking backward as we're dropping her off at the dorm in September, and I'm clinging to her childhood. She's looking forward. It struck me. I mean, it hit me like a bag of bricks that day. We're moving her into the dorm. I'm sad. I'm a little wispy. Uh, everybody, her sisters, were a little sad and wispy. But she was excited, a little nervous, but excited, peering into the future. So I'm looking back. She's looking forward. And I had to remind myself that day not to be selfish. The drop-off wasn't an end. It was a beginning. And it was about her. It wasn't about me. And, and granted, I burst into tears when I got into the car. But that helped me that day sort of frame what it was about, dropping her off. And I have to tell you, she came back, came home from college, and she, uh, the first seven or ten days, she confessed to me. She said, Dad, I was really nervous. I was really sad. I was homesick. Uh, that's why I was FaceTiming so much. I know, because she never FaceTimed me before that. And suddenly she wanted to be on the phone with me at night. And she said, though, after seven or ten days of being on her own in the dorm, she sort of realized, hey, we're all in this together. Everybody's going through the same thing. And, hey, oh, by the way, I'm making some friends. And some of the friends were just for right now, and some of the friends may be friends for life. But, you know, she came home from college, and I got to say, she came home, I think, grown up a little bit, a little mature. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, she's lived a little, been out there a little bit, but felt really good about her first year of college. And as a parent, that's all you can ask for. So it's a time of transition, a day of transition. If you have kids in school, this being maybe the last day of school, or maybe your kids already ended a week ago or weeks ago. But, you know, as much as I wanted to get to the Blazers and the project in Hillsboro and Oregon State's salary, I couldn't get there yet. Not without noting that, you know, for those of you out there who have done this before, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents who have seen kids grow up, you know it happens fast. You know that you've got to cherish the moments. You know it's a blink and they're gone. I can think back to the 19-year-old. I can, I can see her now. I can see her as five years old, six years old. And I'm now watching the six-year-old in our household uh, throw on lipstick in the morning. And I'm like, not so fast. Slow down, kid. Uh, you know, I told the eight-year-old today when she got home from school after her half day, I said, listen, that went really fast. You're getting big. You're off to third grade next year. I said, this summer I would like you not to grow. Can you please stay the same size for Dad? Can you do that? She said, I don't know how to do that, Dad. Uh, I think it's a, a, a terrific reminder that if you're a dad or you're a mom, cherish these times. They go quickly. I'm admit it, uh, and I know that, that you know there's going to be a day coming when that now six-year-old ends up off to college at 18 or 19, and I don't think that one's going to be any easier. Great show ahead. We got Josh Newman of the Salt Lake Tribune, who's going to be joining us this hour to talk about Pac-12 conference football. We'll drill deep on Utah. Where are the holes in Kyle Whittingham's game? Later in the program, we're going to talk about the NBA draft. We are a day away 
Sean Hyken of Bleacher Report. He's got his finger on the pulse of the Blazers. He's joining us in the 5 o'clock hour. But coming up, I'm going to tell you what I think the Blazers should do with their pick at number 7. It's become apparent to me that there's only one way out of this mess for Trail Blazers Inc. I want you to leave it here. You got the BFT statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the Blazers have made a trade, but it is not a trade involving their draft pick for this draft. Jeremy Grant, Detroit Pistons, and the Blazers getting together on a trade that uh, I think had been rumored about and bantered about. Detroit traded Jeremy Grant to the Blazers for the Blazers' 2025 first-round pick. That's a pick uh, coming via Milwaukee to Portland. That pick is protected one through four. Uh, We'll get more details on this trade. Uh, I have a few questions about it at face value. You've got a guy who is entering the last year of a contract where he'll make about $21 million next season. Then he becomes an unrestricted free agent. I believe the Blazers, because it was a trade, would get his bird rights. Is that how you understand that, Peter? Yeah, yeah. The Blazers would have the ability to go above the uh, cap and beyond what anyone can pay him to try to retain him. But let's talk just about Jeremy Grant for a second before we talk about the cost of Jeremy Grant. This is a guy that, uh, you know, has been a nice number three option for teams little bit a little bit of an oversized uh, three or a small four if you look at him how does he fit with Damian Lillard is the big question does this make Lillard happy probably because he gets uh, a, a counterpart after losing CJ McCollum and and Robert Covington and Norman Powell and via via a lot of trades this also maintains some flexibility for the Blazers front office is they have the ability if Grant doesn't pan out to just wash their hands of it. It seems like there's some upside here, Peter, with very little downside. Yeah, no, it's it's a great move. And, I mean, Jeremy Grant, I've heard, I wouldn't necessarily take it at gospel, but for probably nine, ten months I've been hearing, we've asked over the last few years, John, if Damian Lillard is such a great leader, why don't other NBA players with talent really want to play with him? I've heard that Jeremy Grant has wanted to play with Damian Lillard. Finally, he's been that guy that wants to team up with him. Maybe he's not a superstar. Maybe he's not even an all-star. But, look, you look at the numbers in Detroit, you know, 19 points a game, 22 points a game, solid three-point shooting. I would expect those numbers to come down a little bit back into the 15-point range, but the bottom line, he's a lengthy, versatile forward. He's a two-way player. He's not an elite defender, but he will never embarrass you, and frankly, in that Denver uh, series against the Trail Blazers, he was really nice and played some very solid defense. It's just, the bottom line is this is the best forward Damian Lillard will have played with since LaMarcus Aldridge. If I'm looking at comparisons for Jeremy Grant, is, is he... Is he Jalen Brown? I mean, is is he in that category? Uh, no, he's not. He's not Jalen Brown's similarly styled, I would say. But I yeah. think Jalen Brown's a more talented player. Poor man's Jalen Brown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so if we're saying that, is this worth a 2025 first round pick? 
Yeah. Oh, oh, without a doubt. I mean, I would have done a 2025 Blazers pick, maybe, but I'd really hesitate because there's a chance still that the wheels completely fall off. But this Milwaukee pick, I mean, look, you look at Giannis's age. He's locked up for a long time. You still have Drew Holiday. He'll probably be slowing down, but he'll be effective. Chris Middleton is still going to be effective. Look, Milwaukee... You can reasonably expect they're still going to be a true championship contender, but even if they're not, it's not like this. they're going to be a lottery team. They did still, I see, throw just top four protection on it just in case something crazy happens. You don't end up getting burned. But I would expect this is a pick that's going to be somewhere between 23 and, frankly, 30 when it conveys. I think it's really interesting because I think I, I, I like that it's not this draft. I like that we're going into the future for a draft because I think sitting at seven, you know, the, the message that I want to convey is that the Blazers have had a, had a difficult time historically attracting free agents. We all know mm-hmm. there's a summer ritual in Portland right around the 4th of July where we all slap our foreheads and eat a hot dog and shoot off a firework and we go, why can't we get free agents to Portland? It, we do it every year. I've done it for 20 years, and you you may have done it longer. But to me, like if you're the Blazers, you're looking at what the Warriors have done. You're looking at what Boston has done. This was the first time since 1998 that you had an NBA Finals where the top three scorers on both teams, so the top six scorers in this series, uh, were players that were drafted by their respective teams. It, you know, it had been... Uh, a significant amount of time, like 24 years since that had happened. And you eight players on the Warriors roster drafted by the Warriors, eight players on the Boston roster drafted by Boston. And so I, the more I studied that, the more I got to thinking, like, if you're the Blazers, you don't make a deal unless it's a sweetheart deal. You don't give up draft picks unless it is a no-brainer. Now, I think the Jeremy Grant trade – Approach is no-brainer because I don't think you're going to get a better player for him in 2025 uh, picking wherever the Blazers are picking. So I think they're going to be okay. But I think Detroit probably gave up on Jeremy Grant because they know he's an unrestricted free agent. He doesn't fit for them long-term. And I think they know that you know they were trying to create some cap space. And I think they now have a boatload of cap space, maybe more than $40 million yeah. of space. So I think they're going to have the ability to do some really interesting things in free agency. But they're a free agent destination. They can be. They have been. They have done a better job, I guess, of attracting free agents over time. I want your reaction as a Blazer fan. Do you want to weigh in? Thumbs up, thumbs down. 503-417-7575. Jeremy Grant to Portland for a 2025 first-round pick. It appears that they will swap second-round picks as well with the Blazers improving their draft position in that second round. They'll give up pick 43 to get pick 36, I believe, in return uh, as part of this deal. It's also protected, lottery protected, one through four. So if it's one of the top four picks in 2025, it will not go to Detroit, which I like as well. So here's the thing, Peter. Why couldn't Detroit do better here? Because I keep thinking, like, they should have got a pick and maybe a player. 
Yeah, I mean, I think ultimately, if you have to get a player involved, you have to make salaries match, and that's a challenge on his $21 million contract, I believe. But because that C.J. McCollum trade was so lopsided, the Blazers had a $22 million trade exception where they can just straight up absorb salary. And it was really interesting when uh, when the Houston Rockets traded uh, Christian Wood to Dallas last, last week. We talked about Luka Doncic needing a big man, and they got one. This is a 17-10 and 10 guy, and he only went for the 26th pick in this year's draft. So you go, man, if Christian Wood goes for 26, Jeremy Grant is not going to fetch anything near number seven. And I think the NBA is just skewing towards being extra conservative with their money. Maybe it's not as freewheeling and dealing as it used to be. Uh, But ultimately, it was that trade exception that was able to make that happen. Is it a loss if the Blazers don't end up retaining Jeremy Grant after next season, or how do you view that? I look at it, again, going back to not even this recent NBA season, but late in the season before I, I'd been hearing he wants to come to Portland. More specifically, he wants to play to Dame, or play with Damian Lillard. It's not like he you know wants to come to wine country or something. And uh, that being said, if it doesn't work out and he doesn't resign, I feel like they are going to an extend an offer to him and they'll kind of agree on the money because he does want a new contract. But if he's not retained, I'm expecting he's not being retained because this year was a disaster and Damian Lillard is probably finally on his way out the door. He's making that decision. I think they're a package deal. I think it's an interesting move for the Blazers, but I also want to talk about the long-term plan. Look, we don't know who's going to own this franchise, but I know where this franchise has been. I can't see the future. I can see the past. You can see it, too. This is a franchise that historically could it could not get free agents in the summer. Brian Grant, the last free agent, major free agent they got to come and sign and stay in Portland. Peter, if, if I tell you, hey, you're hamstrung when it comes to free agency, you know, I, I think you pick at seven in tomorrow's draft. You try to pick a player that's going to end up being a rotation player long-term for your team. You pick the best damn player. Yeah, I, I'm starting to kind of come around to that, really. I mean, especially, okay, now we have Grant, so there's no need for a, a John Collins, for example. They play too similar of a position. OG Ananobi, same deal. Okay, we have our 3-4, or at least one of the, the forwards that we need. And so it seems like maybe that kind of sentiment around the league that Portland might be using utilizing the, the seventh pick for themselves, you know, you think, well, maybe that's a smokescreen. The only kind of wrinkle I could see in that, aside from maybe taking like a Dyson Daniels or maybe even a Shaden Sharp if he's available, is maybe you do something. Oklahoma City is trying to be terrible again, and they're looking to maybe move up and get one of those more project guys. Maybe you can trade from 7 to 12 because they have the second pick and the 12th pick. You move down five st- spots, and you take a guy like Lou Dort who uh, can guard one through four. He's, he's like Tony Allen, man. Yeah. And you get him. He's also a free agent to be. You'll have his bird rights. You solve a lot of the perimeter defense, you still get a lottery pick, and there now you've gotten two vets, and you're still getting a lottery pick. The best thing that needs to happen, though, forget the personnel moves. We need leadership, ownership, direction, new owner, Burt yeah. Cole, Jody Allen. Set this team free, please. We go to Salt Lake City next. Josh Newman covers Utah football. He'll join us. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
We'll get more on the Blazers trade later in the program. Sean Hyken, Bleacher Report, will be joining us to talk about the Blazers landing Jeremy Grant for a 2025 first-round draft pick. Our next guest has his finger on the pulse of Utah Athletics from the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh Newman joining us now. How are you, sir? John, I'm well. How are Good. we? Good. I love your how clear your phone is. It's like Kyle Whittingham does the same damn thing. I was on the phone with him the other day. He was he was on a landline. Are you on a landline? No, I am not on on a landline. I don't even have a landline. I guess I guess I'm a little Man. too old for a landline. A little Man. too young for a landline. Excuse me. <laughs> you would say that. Uh, Newman, <laughs> let me ask you something. Uh, you know, everybody's picking Utah. Everybody's looking at the preseason poll. I can tell you already, it's going to be Utah. You know, it's going to be Utah. So let's let's nitpick it a little bit just to start. Before we talk about how great they're going to be, where are the questions for this Utah football team? Uh, man, there are multiple questions. Uh, in, in my personal opinion, the big question on offense is um, at wide receiver, which it hasn't exactly been a position of strength over, over the last few years, but that's been okay because obviously Utah wants to run the ball. They're good up front. You have two legitimate pass-catching tight ends in Brand Keithy and Dalton Kincaid, who were both very, very good last season. Um, but, look, once you got past Britton Covey at wide receiver, you didn't really have a ton there, right? You didn't have a, a prototypical number one guy. Um, I don't know that they have a prototypical number one guy now. Um, Devon Valet, who has been in the program for a few years now, people are expecting him to kind of step into that number one role. And, you know, look, he's got the size – and he has experience, he can you know, go downfield over the top of, of a defender. But my question there is, is he capable of doing that because he hasn't been asked to be this guy before? Like, can he go into the swamp on September 3rd and catch nine balls from rising? I don't know. We think he can, but I just don't know because he hasn't done it yet. You know, wide receiver, um, it's young, beyond ballet. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens there on defense. You, you look at linebacker, uh, Devin Lloyd, gone to the NFL. Nephi Sewell, gone to the NFL. That is a very, very talented linebacker room, but you just don't have a lot of game reps because, again, Devin Lloyd played 45 games, started 35 of those games. Nephi Sewell was entrenched as a starter for the last two seasons. So, you know, you've got a guy like Kareni Reed who, who, who showed some things last year. Uh, Lander Barton is, you know, this 18-year-old stud freshman you know the crown jewel of this, of excuse me, of this recruiting class. Um, Mahmoud Diabate is a Florida transfer. A lot of SEC experience there. Older guy hasn't played in Morgan Scally's system yet. We'll see what happens there. So, I think that when you look at the Pac-12, I think that Utah's projected 22 is better than everybody else's projected 22. But you've got a lot of guys expected to step into roles that haven't done it yet. So to me, there's a lot of question marks going into camp. It's fascinating to me to see, you know, you look back on a season that's successful, you do see things that went right. When you look back to last season, Josh, what really fell into place to make it work at Utah? I mean, I think the obvious thing that stands out is, you know, the quarterback situation, right? We had a a quarterback competition here between Cam Rising uh, and Charlie Brewer. You know, Charlie Brewer walked in here, as this, you know, prolific four-year guy at Baylor, right, threw for 9,700 yards and 60-plus and touchdowns. And I think 
a lot of us thought that Brewer would, you know, would kind of walk in here and, and take command of the job, but that's not how it went. Like rising, coming off shoulder surgery was healthy. And he pushed, you know, he pushed Brewer to the limit. It went to the last couple of days of camp before prep had to start for the opener. Brewer won the job. Uh, it turns out that, you know, they were trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. Um, you know, rising comes in at San Diego state week three, uh, Brewer leaves the program and things just kind of fell into place. And, you know, rising, even before all this, Rising had command of the locker room. He is highly, highly respected by his teammates, by the coaching staff, by Kyle Whittingham. So once once that settled down and Rising came in and, you know, he went nuts at USC, he threw for like 315 yards, had a few big games beyond that, and then he was very, very solid. And he was a leader in the locker room, you know, during the season, uh, after Aaron Lowe's death, you know, people rallied around Rising. He's that type of kid that type of personality. So, you know, the fact that the quarterback situation fell into place, even if it did fall into place a little later than people, you know, kind of would have liked, it did fall into place. And Ryzen's play and his calm and his moxie, that's why, that's a huge reason why Utah did what it did last year and went to the Rose Bowl. What scares Utah fans right now? It, looking outside the, it, you know, it used to be a lot of people talked about Oregon, but I felt like, Maybe that thing got settled at Utah last year. I believe it was, you know, in uh, in in November or October, November. I can't remember when the game was. It was such a nightmare for Oregon. But it, you know, that kind of got settled. Is it now USC, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I th- I think that USC is the focus of of Utah fans, and you know, that was before you know the Pac-12 did away with divisions, even right. Like you were looking at the Pac-12 South, and it was Utah. And then, you know, USC hires Lincoln Riley. He completely revamps the roster, hits the transfer portal. Uh, Caleb Williams comes in and Jordan Addison comes in. And, it, you know, we're looking at, like, Clash of the Titans here, right, on October 15th when USC comes in. That's, you know, that's what the fans were looking at. And now, you know, you're getting rid of divisions, and it's going to be the top two teams going to the Pac-12 championship game. And I don't know that anything has changed. And, yeah, I think I think a lot of the focus – look, Utah fans are very, very focused on on two things. They're focused on the opener at Florida, September 3rd, and as I've said ad nauseum, biggest opener in Utah football history. If you think you're a college football playoff contender and you go into the swamp and win, your season begins to take a certain, a certain turn. It has a certain look to it. You can do something significant, something special if you beat Florida. They're focused on that, and they're focused on October 15th, when USC comes in here, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that both those teams are 6-0 and when USC comes in here. If, if, if Utah specifically is 6-0, and you might be sniffing the top seven, top five. You're a legitimate college football playoff contender. So two biggest games of the year. One is the biggest opener in school history. Uh, one is, you know, could be one of the biggest home games in program history if things shake out correctly. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Terrific read. You can read him on the Salt Lake Tribune's website. Make sure you're following him on Twitter as well. Uh, this conference needs a playoff contender. Utah is the likely suspect. You, you touched on it, you know, a 6-0 and start and what that could look like. This team, though, this program a year ago, I felt like they were really locked in. There was a lot of tragedy. There was a lot of emotion. 
Kyle Whittingham and that team just kind of put its nose down and bulldozed the rest of the conference. It, is there, is that, you know, I'm wondering where the fire is going to come from, you know, after they've been to a Rose Bowl, or, or did they leave it hungry after losing to Ohio State? That's a great question. Um, look, you don't want to, you don't want to have complacency, right? Given what what went on last year, and to be clear, like you know, they 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 got to the mountaintop. Like the reasonable expectation for Utah football every year is to be winning is to be winning the Pac-12 South, which no longer exists, winning the Pac-12 championship, and getting to a Rose Bowl. Getting to a Rose Bowl is a reasonable, attainable expectation for this Utah football team at this point every year and they got there but I, I i will i will say and this this is what sticks out to me about rose bowl week last year is that i remember talking to brand keithy right the tight end uh during rose bowl prep and, and we started talking about you know rising and what the season was and what the season could have been if rising had started the opener and brewer you know never played and brand keithy was very very adamant that with rising at quarterback, that they could get to a college football playoff. Um, nobody's really talking about that a ton, but I, that that really stuck out to me. That Brand Keithy was willing to put himself out there in his belief that if rising had started, they could have run the table. With rising starting now, from day one, his belief he he was very adamant that they can get to a college football playoff. You don't hear rising talking about those things. You don't hear Kyle Whittingham talking about those things. Uh, you and I talk about these things, right? The media members, you know, some of us believe that, you know, it's a real possibility that Utah could do something significant. But um, I don't think there's any complacency. That's not really how Rising is is uh, is wired. Um, comes from a competitive background, competitive family. You know, the youngest of three sons. Uh, grew up with this alpha male type of athletic-driven father. I don't think Rising is going to be very complacent. And if I know Kyle Whittingham, he's not very complacent either. So I think that uh, they left some things on the field at the Rose Bowl. Uh, they lost that game. Uh, they, you know, they think they can get back there and win that game. So I don't think anybody is uh, being or acting too complacent right now. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Devin Lloyd at linebacker was a force. I thought he was the best player in the Pac-12 Conference uh, championship game. Thought he outplayed Kayvon Thibodeau. How do you replace a guy like that who goes off to the NFL? You don't. Um, you don't. He's the greatest the greatest uh, defensive player in Utah football history. Did so much for them, sideline to sideline, coming off the edge, did everything for that defense. You don't replace a guy like that. As I said earlier here, you have options in your linebacker room. You have a lot of talented options, but that talent is very green. I think personally that Mamou Diabate, Florida transfer, 30-plus some-odd games at the SEC level, he's coming off a shoulder injury, but he is a huge piece of the puzzle and a huge get out of the portal for Kyle Whittingham. A lot is being expected of Diabate. Then it becomes, what do you do at numbers two and three, at, at linebacker. Um, Kareni Reed, again, is a, you know, he, he, he showed flashes last year. He has potential. He was very good when he was asked to step in there and play. The fascination to me at linebacker is how much do you trust Lander Barden 
again, 18-year-old kid, four-star kid, you know, spurned Oregon and Michigan and Texas. You know, the Barton family is Utah Athletics royalty. Both the older brothers, Cody Barton, Jackson Barton, played for Whittingham, got to the NFL. How much can you lean on Lander Barton early? Because he's probably going to have to play. That's the fascination to me. What are you getting out of Lander Barton on September 3rd? Josh, I I am looking at this conference, and I I see Utah. I see you know Lincoln Riley to USC. Oregon's in transition with a new coach, but they'll have some talent. Who are we not talking about? Who is it that's on your radar that maybe not in those three schools that could challenge? I'm pretty bullish um, on UCLA. Um, Dorian Thompson Robinson comes back for a fifth year. Uh, Zach Charbonnet, a very very good running back for UCLA. Um, you know, a change at uh, um, at D coordinator for the Bruins. UCLA gets Utah at home on October 8th, and they get USC also coming across town to the Rose Bowl. I think UCLA has enough not to not to win the conference, but UCLA has more than enough to ruin somebody's season. So if we're thinking that it's Utah and USC in some order, okay, I don't fault anybody for picking USC to win the league, but if you're picking Utah and USC, I think I think UCLA can be a problem for either of those teams, especially given the fact that, again, they're getting both those teams at home. I, I, I'm, I'm bullish on UCLA, certainly more bullish than, um, than, you know, than most of us covering the league, I think. Am I nuts for thinking that USC could, could stumble? Uh, you know, lose a game or two. I just saw them physically pushed around last year, and I'm not sure, you know, I guess, you know, the the, the great skill positions that they're bringing in, they're going to score a whole bunch of points, but I'm not sure they're not going to have a game, Josh, or two where where they lose a game we don't expect them to lose. Am I nuts? No, I'm with you. No, I'm with you there. No, you're definitely not crazy. Um, Lincoln Riley has obviously obviously done a great job of hitting the transfer portal as we've said, with Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison um, and other skill position guys. But you don't turn over your offensive and defensive lines in one season. Okay, that's going to take, you know, two cycles, maybe three cycles to really get it to where you want to be. And I agree with you. Those guys got pushed around last year. Though, you know, those are weaknesses. Okay, they're not, you know, they, were, they weren't great up front on either side last year. And even if we put, even if we put them down for some level of improvement, you're not going to be exactly where you want to be. So let's keep that in mind. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but USC has to go on the road uh, twice to open Pac-12 play. They're at Stanford. And at I Oregon State. At, Oregon, at State. Oregon State. Okay. Yeah. You know, you have to go to Oregon State. That's already a tough place to play. It's going to be a smaller crowd, correct me if I'm wrong, because they're doing construction yeah. there. Yeah. So it's going to be even more of an intimate atmosphere. So, you know, we're going to find out something about USC pretty immediately having to, you know, breaking in a new coach, breaking in a new quarterback, breaking in new skill position guys. Oh, and you have to go on the road twice. So by the time, you know, by the time USC comes here on the 15th of October, I think we're going to know plenty about what the Trojans are. And no, I'm with you. If they stumble, you know, once, twice early, would not be surprised. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Before I let you go, I wrote today about my daughter's last day of school here in their school district, uh, and they're uh, you know off into summer. You got a newborn baby. How's the newborn baby? Are you getting anything done? Uh, yeah, some things are getting done. <laughs> you know what? I'm uh, 
I'm sleeping more than I had anticipated, which is good. Uh, with the exception of this morning, my you know my guy was up at four fifteen this morning. Didn't really appreciate that, but that's okay. Um, look, it's been awesome. Um, he you know he's smiling and he's laughing all over the place and he's babbling. Um, the way I see it, I've got another month plus until camp starts to get everything figured out. Um, we'll get it all done. But the whole you know the whole process, watching him you know grow up and turn into more of a little boy, not just a big you know kind of a lump of a baby, so to speak. The whole thing's <laughs> I know I know exactly what you mean. Anybody who's got kids knows what you mean. But uh, it's, uh, it's a journey, man. I appreciate you, Newman. Thanks for your expertise, and thanks for joining us. Talk soon, John. Thanks. There he is. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, Utah football, Kyle Whittingham trying to repeat as the Pac-12 champion. They caught, I thought, Oregon – you know, in a in a big way at Salt Lake City late last season. We all saw it. It was an ambush. And then proved in the Pac-12 championship game they were the best team in the conference. I'm not buying USC yet. I think the South Division, so to speak, is Utah's to lose. And I, I agree with them that UCLA is going to be improved. I think they've been sniffing around it a little bit. I just don't quite think UCLA could win it. I think they could be a disruptor. I think that they could beat somebody. I think they could beat USC. I think they could beat uh, they could beat Oregon. They could beat Utah. They could be a disruptor. But I just don't see them as the consistent champion of the conference. I could, you know, I, prove me wrong, Chip Kelly. But I think they're a top half of the conference team. In in a lot of ways, I think their counterpart in the North Division is is Oregon State or Washington State. That kind of team. I think those two teams in the North could be disruptors. Washington State in particular with with uh, quarterback, uh, you know, they obviously have a transfer quarterback who's come in, Cameron Ward, who uh, is going to be running that air raid offense. Uh, but I, 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 I like Utah. I like Oregon, like everybody else does. And then my sleepers are Washington State, Oregon State, and UCLA. There's those five teams, two of those five, I think, are playing in the Pac-12 championship game. I don't like USC to get to the title game. I, I could be crazy for saying that, but I just don't see it. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Blue skies, sunshine, summer officially underway. Wherever you may be listening to this, as Bill Shonley said once upon a time, uh, Blazers made a trade. They gave up uh, their 2025 first-round draft pick to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Jeremy Grant. There are other pieces that are part of the puzzle here as it's becoming apparent that the Blazers gave up uh, more than just the one pick. They will also give up a 2022 second-round pick, the number 36 pick. They will, uh, uh, excuse me, number 46 pick to Detroit. And in return, they uh, they will get, uh, excuse me, I got that backwards. Okay, starting over. The Blazers are getting Jeremy Grant. We have that established. They are also getting Detroit's 2022 second-round pick, number 46 overall. 
the Pistons will take the Blazers' 2025 first-round pick. Then they will get the Blazers' 2022 second-round pick. So they are uh, moving up 10 spots in the draft order from 46 to 36. Pistons will also get the Blazers' 2025 second-round pick and a 2026 second-round pick from the Blazers. So if you are a uh, Pistons fan, you are getting one first, you are getting three seconds, and you are giving up Jeremy Grant and a second. I have that, I think, summarized. If you're a Blazer fan, I think you view this as exciting. Short-term, I think Damian Lillard gets to feel like the franchise values him and wants to put a player who is capable of competing now in the lineup. I think it makes the Blazers better next season. But are they better, Peter, than they were with C.J. McCollum, Robert Covington, Norman Powell? Would you put, you know, you put Jeremy Grant in the lineup, you still have some other pieces you need to fill in here. Yeah, I mean, look, the Jeremy Grant move is a home run, but but you need a five-run inning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got a solo <laughs> shot. That's a good start. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we all saw what Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, that backcourt wasn't working. And so getting C.J.'s, you know, bloated salary off the books and Larry Nance, it's essentially those two guys plus the second-round pick becomes uh, Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant, two much more balanced players that are both out of position and need. It's really interesting what's going to go down here in the next 24 hours as we approach the draft. I hope they get a good player in the draft. That's what I hope. I hope they take the pick at seven. Uh, There will be a player picked seven or below who will end up as an all-star. Bank that. Uh, I also was on record years ago saying, look, I love C.J. McCollum as an individual. I like uh, I like Damian Lillard. Everybody else does as an individual player. But I, I never really got pairing them together as a, uh, as a solution for a team that was going to play deep, deep, deep in the playoffs because I just think there was, you know, I, I need a little better defender if I'm going to play Lillard, uh, you know, in the backcourt. I need that counterpart to be a bigger guard. Uh, the big splash is that the Blazers are getting Jeremy Grant from Detroit. It, it'll be incumbent upon Joe Cronin, the general manager, to re-sign him. He becomes a uh, unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. The Blazers would have his bird rights, meaning they can pay more than other teams, and they can go above the salary cap in order to do that. And uh, it puts them in a position, if they really like Jeremy Grant, to retain him. But I also think it's a little risky because if Jeremy Grant does end up getting away or doesn't quite pan out or you have to overpay to keep him, there's a tax that comes with that. Punch and Audio is coming up top of the hour. Anna will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll go heavy on the NBA draft of the 5 o'clock hour. It's all laid out. you got the BFT. One hour in the books. Leave it right here. We'll be right back after a quick break. B. F-F-T. Here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. I love meeting the listeners of this show. Make sure you follow me on Twitter. You can mix it up on the social media scene. Follow me on Instagram, too. If you are on TikTok, I'm on TikTok. If you're not on TikTok, never mind. Draymond Green, CJ McCollum, so much more. You'll hear this hour as we play some 
Punch It Audio. The best sound from all around. We got it. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Oh, yeah, he was talking, too. You'll hear from Kareem. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio. Presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Well, we saw the news yesterday. Deshaun Watson, Cleveland Browns quarterback and the pride of the Cleveland Browns organization has settled 20 of the 24 civil suits that were filed against him. Shannon Sharp on Undisputed made a bold prediction. What did Sharp say? I'll let you hear it. Punch it. I think everybody thought, even though Deshaun maintained his innocence, I just not, I did not know how the cavalcade of women that kept coming, how at some point in time he was going to have to settle these skips. It was just, it was just too many. It was too many to fight off, and a lot of times, Skip, it reminds you of, like, the government when they put RICO charges on you. They throw enough charges out. They know something's going to stick. And we don't need them all. We just need a few. And so to fight this many women, it was just simpler for him to do it this way. But because they settled the case, that doesn't mean the NFL is done with him. That means he's done with 20 of the 24 women. Now the NFL says, now we're going to have our say in the disciplinary action. And as, the, as Skip, as you read a lot of this, and you see the women that just kept coming forward. Originally, you and I thought, I thought it was going to be somewhere between four and eight games. But as more and more women came forward and you started reading the gory details, I'm like, I don't know how he get past a year. I really don't. I didn't. I didn't see it. I didn't see a way forward that at some point in time he could come back this season. And I believe that's what's going to happen. I believe Deshaun Watson is going to miss another year of football. Last year, they just didn't play it. This year is going to be because he's going to be suspended for conduct detrimental to the NFL. Bold prediction, one that I think does come true. I think that the NFL's got a tricky, uh, it's in a tricky position with Deshaun Watson. Even though there are no criminal charges, Roger Goodell and the NFL hold the ultimate authority. And I, I feel like as much as Deshaun Watson is trying to put all these cases behind him and he's settling and settling and settling, that the NFL in the end may not well, they may want a little more justice, so to speak. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on The Tonight Show got tired of hearing about Steph Curry being the greatest of all time. A lot of three-point baskets. He joked back, kind of, with Jimmy Fallon. Punch it. Steph Curry, uh, just making three-pointers, that guy is just unbelievable. Never seen anything like that. When you, when you were playing, were there people that shot like that? Not like that, but, you know, they were good three-point shooters. We thought at that time, but uh, earlier on, you might get 10 three-point shots in, in, a, in a game. Now there's 10, 20 three-point uh, three shots in a quarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, they, it seems like it's a, it's a three-point three shooting contest. But, yeah, you, you know, people enjoy it, Yeah. and, uh, you know, they, they should. I, I was the – I am still the uh, – all-time leading scorer in the NBA, and I only made one three-point shot. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, a little, little clap back, so to speak. And I only made one three. Changed the game. Here's the, here's the similarity that he's got. You can talk about Bill Russell and the championships. You can talk about Michael Jordan. Steph Curry changed the way the game, the modern game, is being played. Yeah, people talking about a four-point shot. Because the three's not, 
You know, he hits it too too easily. Kareem had a very similar time in the NBA as they talked about, like, you know, do we do we need to institute new rules around the basket? Fascinating Kareem, Wilt Chamberlain before him, probably when you talk about generational players. But I think Steph Curry has the title of the most creative offensive player that I've ever seen. How about that? Can we settle for that? Rory McIlroy calling out the golfers who have defected to the LIV Tour. Is he talking about Brooks Kepka? Punch it. Again, I'll go back to what I said at, uh, at the, I think it was at the U.S. Was it last week or uh, it might have been, I don't know. But am I surprised? Yes, because of what he said previously. And I think that's why I'm, I'm surprised at a lot of these guys because they, they say one thing and then they do another. And I don't understand that, and I don't know if that's for legal reasons or if they can't. I, I have no idea, but um, it's pretty duplicitous on, on their part to say one thing and then do another thing. You're talking about something you said two years ago or a week ago? The whole way through. The whole way through, in public and private, all of it. Rory McIlroy getting an awakening to, to a world that includes millions of dollars and hundreds of millions of dollars in the case of these LIV buy-offs that are going on. They found Brooks Kepka's price. They didn't find Tiger Woods' price. They couldn't get to Jack Nicholas's price. They got Phil Mickelson. They got some others like Dustin Johnson probably at a bargain. But in the end, that's where this event is. And oh, by the way, this event is coming to our state in, uh, what, 10, 10, 11 days now? LIV tournament will be at Pumpkin Ridge. So brace yourself for the, for the uh, circus that will come with that show as it comes to town. Angels Royals, Shohei Otani hit two home runs, drove in eight, including a three-run jack in the bottom of the ninth inning that tied the game. Punch it. That's driven the opposite way. And that's got eyes for the flare. Otani thinking. And he thinks better of it. Go back to first two out hit. He does. He does in fact square it up. And gone. Three run blast for Otani. He did a shot. Reaches for that one on center field. Is it deep enough? He got great speed. It is. That's going to score one. RBI. It's now seven to six. The two-two. Looking for another one, but he flared it out to left. That's going to score one run, and that's another RBI. That's eight on the night for Otani. It's a one-run game, but there are two down here in the bottom of the 11. He drove in eight. He hit two home runs. The Angels lost the game 12-11 in 12 innings. Otani, after the game, asked what he needed to do. Apparently needed to drive in 10 runs for the Angels to win. Daniel Snyder, Washington football team owner, embattled, under investigation. Dan Graziano talking about Snyder possibly losing the team. 
punch it. Look, I mean, Ryan, obviously the league and uh, Dan Snyder have made it clear that they don't want the results of the investigation to become public. Uh, so to the extent that not testifying can help him keep it all secret, it might sort of protect Daniel Snyder. If more stuff comes out, if Goodell's testimony, if other things that Congress or people covering this story are able to uncover uh, come out that, that put Daniel Snyder uh, in a situation where they have to revisit, where they have to continue to investigate, then down the line, yes, it could be a situation where uh, he ends up being in a position where he might be forced to sell the team. But it looks like the league and the commanders so far have tried to, um, to avoid that situation and again, if stuff comes out in these hearings that changes the, the landscape of that, then it, could, then it could put him in that precarious position. But I think we're a long way from that. League investigating harassment claims against the Washington commanders, investigating what is uh, being called a hostile work environment or a toxic work environment. But it's really interesting because much in the same way that John Gruden's case against Roger Goodell in the NFL is really rooted in trying to get all of those other emails out there publicly. Both the commanders and the NFL appear to want to keep this one quiet. Like, they don't want the findings of that investigation or the dirty details of the investigation to go public. Now, apparently, this is eight, eight months long. And apparently they have handled a bunch of claims of sexual harassment of the team's female employees. They also found that Snyder was interfering with the league's investigation, trying to intimidate witnesses. He launched a shadow investigation that basically was a 100-page uh, indictment of the people who had shared claims of harassment against the commanders. I mean, it's everything that's wrong with these kinds of cases meanwhile the nfl's got you know an investigation of its own and roger goodell was asked today if he might remove daniel schneider as the owner now you heard that that clip but goodell said he had no authority to remove schneider as an owner can't do it says you know he doesn't have it like but an nfl owner can only be removed if three-quarters of the fellow owners vote to remove the owner. That's 24 out of the 32 need to be removed. Now, it's going to be interesting to see what happens here. With Schneider going on offense internally. Really, really difficult investigation. And this is, this is not what the NFL needs right now. The NFL doesn't need a lengthy, messy investigation into Dan Snyder that turns into a fight between Snyder and the NFL. The NFL needs that thing to get fixed, get right, and get in the rearview mirror. It needs to be focused on getting the Deshaun Watson case, get a disposition there that, that is satisfactory to the public, satisfactory, and gets some semblance of justice for the for the uh, women who were involved in that case get you know is Deshaun Watson suspended great suspend him move on is Daniel Snyder going to be fined and and punished for the environment he created in Washington as part of his football team great fine him punish him take away draft picks get it in the rearview mirror 
Too much of the discussion about the NFL has focused on the crap that is going on in Washington and in Cleveland. And then if you want to look at a third place, it's the John Gruden, Roger Goodell spat, which really does feel like it was about much, a lot more than what John Gruden was sending via email to fellow NFL executives. Fascinating stuff. Leave it here. We'll talk more about it. Anna's popping in. We got a uh, guest in the 5 o'clock hour, Sean Hike, and he covers the NBA. We'll really drill down on the draft and the Blazers' big trade today as the Blazers have acquired Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons for a 2025 first-round draft pick. Blazers still holding the number seven pick in tomorrow's draft. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's popped into the studio. She is uh, back from picking up the kids at school and last day of school. And what does that mean for you, Anna? Last day of school. Kids are out of school for summer. It means I don't have to set my alarm for 545 in the morning for at least a few weeks. Which means I don't have to turn it off. (laughs) You didn't turn it off. (laughs) Which means I don't have to go. Why is Anna not? Not Getting fixing up. her alarm. <laughs> you know, I almost never set an alarm. I know. But I wake up anyway. I know. Like, I have an alarm clock in, in my your head, head. Yeah. that says, wake up, wake up. Yeah. I don't know if that's normal. I usually only snooze mine, like, once or twice. Three yeah. times is getting a little far. No, I like, I think it was yesterday where you went, my <laughs> alarm didn't go off, and I said, yes, it did. You don't rem- <laughs> You have no recollection of it. <laughs> No, and, and here's the other thing about you. And this what? Is, look, and I think this is probably normal. Are Peter, you going to overshare right now? Peter, do you dream? Oh, vividly, yes. If if I asked you, what did you dream about last night? Do I have to ask you immediately after you wake up or you forget it? Yeah, like I can remember if I had something that was really interesting. But let's say six, seven hours later, it's like, man, what was that really weird dream I had? It fades. Gonzo. That, that's all, Anna. Yeah, I was just gonna say you, you you need a notepad by by your uh, by your nightstand. I used to keep one, so you can go. Oh, I had a dream. Here's what it was about. If you don't ask me what I dreamed about within about ninety seconds after I wake up, it's gone. <laughs> it is gone it's forever. Gone. Just do you, gone. Do you uh, the language that you use in your dreams? Uh-huh. Do you use Mandarin or English? Uh, depends. Because you speak If both. I'm arguing with my mom in my dream, in which case I often will actually speak out loud. Oh, I, I know. know. That's a delight to you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I know. I, uh, I'm dreaming in Mandarin, or what I like to call Chinglish, which is like a mixture between the two. There's like shouting in Mandarin, that, that <laughs> and I know she's having a dream about her mom. Yeah. <laughs> it's real fun to sleep next to me. That's, that's basically that's the bottom line. That's why you don't need an alarm here. clock. <laughs> Exactly. I'm like, what? Where am I? Beijing? I don't know where I am. What's going on? Am I at the so silk market? Are we negotiating? What are we doing here? Yeah. Like, what's happening? I'm a sleep talker. I'm yeah. not a sleep walker. I'm a sleep talker. <laughs> I love it. I wonder if your mom's having dreams about you. Probably not. Or she's scolding you no, in Mandarin. No. You know? Mm-mm. What's the most trouble you ever got in oh, as a man. kid? Whew. What just popped into your head when I said the most 
like you were busted as a kid. There were two. One, and both of them involve Mall 205, darn it. One of them I shoplifted from Claire's Boutique in Mall 205 at the age of nine. And I walked out of Claire's and I had these charms that went to like this plastic chain link kind of necklace that was really popular when I was in third grade. And my mom wouldn't buy me more charms. So I just stole them, and she saw that I was walking out of the store with them, promptly slapped me across the face, walked me back into the store, hand them back, and apologized to every employee that was working in it. Asset protection lady. Yeah. You shoplifted. How old were you? I was nine. I don't eight, know if that counts as shoplifting. Nine. That counts. I think you have to be cognizant of you know the, what you're I doing. I knew. I knew. I, know. I, I took a bad. snicker bar. I might have been five or six or seven. I was really young yeah. from a grocery store. Yeah. <laughs> snicker bar. Snicker bar. And uh, we got into the parking lot. And my dad said, what is that? And I said, it's a snicker bar. They marched me right back in there. Yeah. And, and it was embarrassing. And yeah. I can remember the employee was like, oh, it's not a big deal. Right. And they were like, yes, it is. Right. <laughs> you know, well, but I didn't get slapped across the face. Right across the face. See, that's yeah. one, you know, yeah. that's a cultural difference there. Uh, Well, yeah, maybe, probably. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Well, in like my mom likes to point out in Taiwan, teachers can spank the kids. So and she's a former teacher. So do you think they should bring that back? Mm, Would you support no. a little paddling? <laughs> no, no, no. How about the threat of a paddle? Like the teachers should just have a paddle. <laughs> But not actually be able to use it and be able to point at it and go, you know what happens if I get that down, you know? I don't know. I think it's been shown that's not particularly effective. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about somebody else disciplining my kid, too. Yeah, I'm fine with discipline. I just don't know about, like, corporal Physically punishment. disciplining my kid. Yeah. Uh, the or other time I snuck, it was also, again, Malto 5. I had a uh, slumber party over to a friend's house. I wasn't supposed to go to Malto 5, like, riding on a bike or the MAX train and uh, went and did it with some friends when I was in fourth grade and didn't tell my mom. And then she found out, and boy, was I in trouble then. No, oh, wait a minute. So you got you got on the MAX? I think so. And I, yeah. you, were, you guys were going to see boys? We... At the mall? There were boys involved in the excursion with us, yes. None of these grade. guys had a ride. You had to in get, fourth grade? You had to get no. on the Max. No, we had to get on the yeah. Max. But, the, uh, wouldn't some guy get a BMX bike and like cruise by your house and be like, hey, you could get on the handlebars or whatnot? No? Yeah, that too. But that was okay. Okay. Yeah. You didn't get busted for that. No, I didn't get busted for that. All right. Now we've gone through everything that you got in trouble How for. How about you? What did you get in trouble uh, for besides the Snickers bar? I, I, no, I I uh, I don't remember. I got. I don't remember. I have no rec- like a I can't recall. I can't recall. I can't recall. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, it was in, I was pretty innocent growing up. I was an innocent kid. <laughs> I I got. I had some little back talk issue with uh, a teacher one time. Uh huh. I didn't understand the teacher's discipline. Speaking of discipline in the classroom, uh, I had a teacher. She was from Bolivia. Okay. And we couldn't understand her. She had a bat. She had an accent. Okay. Okay. And she would sometimes say words, and and when she would say the word, like a couple kids would giggle in the classroom. Mm. She would write your name on the board. Mm-hmm. All right. And then if you if you got your name on a board, it was a warning. Right. Then you got a check mark. Check marks. You had to stay after school. Okay. Okay. So my friend Wade Berry, she said some word I can't remember what it was, but he he giggled at her pronunciation of the word. Yeah. And she put his name on the board. Mm-hmm. And then I said, 
why would he why would you put his name on the board like you know just he was just commenting on your pronunciation of the word she put my name on the board uh -oh. then wade started <laughs> laughing at me she gave wade a check mark uh-oh and then wade said i don't care and she gave him another check mark oh, what happened with two check marks and then two, that's what i said i yeah. go hey what happens with two check marks <laughs> and she gave me a check mark oh gosh and then wade laughed and she I'm not kidding you. She had a full stick of chalk. Yeah. She gave him so many checks that her chalk broke in half as she was checking. You ever seen a teacher who was mad? Now you didn't. You're probably too young. No, we had chalk. Okay. She chalk. gave so many check marks that the ch that the chalk actually disintegrated. Oh wow. In her hands. Wow. It was you just really flying. Touched a nerve. And there. everybody was laughing. I was laughing. Wade was laughing. We found out it was just the same stay after school for 10 minutes, oh. even as mad as she was. There was no progression. But I got a note. I believe I got a note home. Did you intercept it? I did intercept it. <laughs> I got a note home from the teacher that she mailed to the house. Oh. This is pre-email, guys. Yeah. There's a whole, they had to send a pony and a horse and a carriage and <laughs> had wax on the letter. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Oh, it was so she actually used like U.S. Postal mail. Service to send. That does give you the opportunity to intercept. There, yeah, but you it also. You just keep an eye on the mailbox. There was no, uh, there was no resolution because, you know, if, if you're in trouble at school, I'm assuming nowadays the teacher would just email your parents yeah. on recess. Yeah. And by the time you got home, yeah. it would be dealt with. I know. Okay? But back in the day, you get in trouble at school, maybe there's a talking to. If they don't call your parents, if they write a letter, yeah. this is dragged out over several days. Yeah. So I can remember having a knot in my stomach, checking yeah. the mail, uh -huh. nothing. Go back to school, <laughs> check the mail the next day, <laughs> nothing. Go back, and finally, here it is. Here's this letter in the mailbox. I'm probably in second or third grade at the mm -hmm. time. And I can, uh, I open it, and I can't really understand what it's about. A lot of big words. You know, incident, yeah. stuff like that, yeah. you know, I'm Disrespectful. sure. Disrespectful. Yeah. And in the end, uh, I showed my parents, and they were like, meh, you know, not uh, that big a deal. Uh, they were like, ah, we have four kids. So we can't worry about this. Guess not. Uh, uh, but that's it. Peter, you ever get in real trouble? Like Any trouble, school, <sighs> trouble, trouble. I was a pretty good kid, but man, once there was a major, major misunderstanding, and I got in so much trouble. I was pro I was in the second grade, and and the kid in my class, David, he had these. I don't remember David. what they're called. I know, but he had these little like collectible. They were like generic army men. I don't remember what they're called, but man. He gave me one of them. He had a million of them, mm. or at least I thought he gave them to me because here it is. It's in my desk, and the uh -huh. teacher comes to the front of the class and says, one of this, them is missing. Does anyone have it? And at that point, I'm terrified, like, they're going to think I stole it. And so now it's written all over my face that I have it. We go to recess. She finds it. I'm like, I didn't take it. He swears. And he wasn't mad at me at all. But the thing is, is my mother worked at the school, and she was oh, so boy. embarrassed that you her were son in was big a trouble. thief. Yeah. And, man, I caught hell. It was a misunderstanding. Well, I'm glad that you got out of that okay in the end. Peter Sampson got it. You took, do you, did, no, did you take the Army guy? He offered it to me. He said you can have it, but it might have been like you can have it like right now to play with and give yeah. it back. And I thought it was like, oh, sweet, I get to take this home. You said uh, have it. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't mad. He, he understood, yeah. but my mother gave – oh, I was in so much trouble. I got I got busted <laughs> in high school. Uh, me and a friend, we were spending – he spent the night at our house. We snuck out the window, and we got in trouble. 
we got we got shot at that night <laughs> and uh sounds and, like that's more yeah more trouble than just parents being mad at yeah, you yeah <laughs> it was uh it was bad it was you know it was it wasn't our fault i'm we gonna say this and got shot at. We were sneaking out, and we were doing what high school kids do when they would sneak out back in the day. It was kind of innocent toilet paper fun, whatnot. Oh, yeah. But we encountered an individual who was a little off. Mm-hmm. And he was hiding out, guarding his house. He was armed. Oh, wow. He was uh, a, a Vietnam veteran. I'm not blaming it on Vietnam, but I, he may have had a little PTSD mm. going on. And... When uh, he saw us at like 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning getting ready to come up the boulevard, uh, he came after us and pointed a gun at us, and we ran for it, and he shot that gun, man. I, 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 you never forget the sound of a gun when it's being fired in your direction. Yes. Did he actually shoot toward you, yes. or did he just shoot it up in the I, air? Like, how do you Anna, know he shot it toward he you? He pointed he it. Okay, here's what I saw. <laughs> he, I was probably... 30 yards from him. Okay. 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 He had a handgun of some kind. Oh, I know geez. this because he was in the light. And he raised it and he pointed it at me. Oh. I didn't I didn't stand there and look yeah. to see him fire it. <laughs> when he pointed the gun at us, I yelled to my friend, go. <laughs> and we turned <laughs> and we ran. And I ran as fast as I could and I heard pop, 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 you know. Oh, my I, gosh. He probably was shooting it in the air. Yeah. But... I didn't look back. Yeah. Satchel Paige said, don't look back. So I didn't, you know. <laughs> Later, the guy apologized. Really? Which is way better than getting shot and then having him, you know, not apologize. Yeah. So this, this yeah. had, you know, my parents were really disappointed with us, though. Sure. I got grounded. But then they also went, well, he did get shot at, so how, how much do we Feel bad. need to discipline him? Hey, aren't you glad I'm alive? That, yeah, yeah, I'm really glad you're alive. No, I was, yeah. that's what I was telling my parents. Oh, yeah. Don't ground me. Nope, they did ground me. <laughs> All right, leave it here. We'll get back to sports next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Yesterday was Caleb Swanigan, former Blazer who passed away way too young, age of 25. Today we hear uh, former NFL defensive tackle Tony Siragusa, the goose, dead at the age of 55. Uh, cause of death not immediately available on Siragusa. He, uh, he was a large person. Caleb Swanigan was a large person. Uh, people are remembering uh, Siragusa as for his sense of humor and whatnot. Uh, when you think about C- Caleb Swanigan, I think about you know mental health, mental well-being. It was evident from some of his erratic behaviors that he wasn't uh, that he wasn't doing well. Um, I hate seeing this stuff. I also think you know sometimes when we talk about athletes. In uh, the professional scene, we're we're uh, we're also talking about people who uh, physically may be larger, heavier than the average human being. Also, Ravens outside linebacker Jalen Ferguson has passed away. He was 26. Uh, he died 
the police responded to his home in Baltimore where they found him unresponsive and being treated by medics. He never regained consciousness, no signs of trauma, no sign of foul play. His body was taken to the medical examiner's office where cause of death will be determined. He was a third-round pick for the Ravens in 2019. Um, energetic guy known as Sack Daddy at Louisiana Tech. He had 45 career sacks at Louisiana Tech. And um, really sad stuff as we're seeing uh, a couple of few uh, athletes gone too soon. Uh, when you think about tragedy in sports and athletes that have died too soon, Immediately, uh, I go to Hank Gathers. I go to I go to Len Bias. Um, I go to uh, I go to like you know w- w- we talk about Roberto Clemente, Thurman Munson back in the day. Um, it's it, it's weird because I think with athletes we we often see them as as larger than life and superheroish, and so when you see them die, especially young, it's jarring. Yeah, absolutely. It's jarring. And it's really concerning because like the reports coming out right now about Jalen Ferguson are that, you know, his death is actually questionable and the police department is not ruling out the possibility of an overdose. Oh, man. So if that's the case, too, even more tragic. And yeah, it is. Um, it, it, it It's hard to comprehend because somebody we all know the odds of getting to the NFL playing at that level and then to see their life snuffed out in this way is particularly tragic. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to see that. And I think you know, too. You look at you. I just. I think you look at athletes, and it's like with uh, you know, like Kobe Bryant and his passing. It it just it shocks you because you see them. I think the the thing that shocked me about Kobe more than anything is is that he almost did not appear human, how good he was. Right. It, it was next level, even among athletes. He was athlete among athlete, right? Mm-hmm. And and then it's the way it happened. I mean, it's so unlikely, the helicopter crash. And, like, you're like, what was he doing in a helicopter? And then you start unpacking that, and you realize, like, you know, the, you know th- that accident took more than Kobe, but it's Kobe that it, we end up talking about mm-hmm. in the end. So really tough uh, – and then you go back to, in Blazers history, you've even got, you know, the case of uh, Jerome Kersey. You have Kevin Duckworth. You have individuals that died too young. These guys were too young. Yeah. Way too young. Yeah. I mean, the fact that Bill Shonley has outlived all of them is a testament to Bill Shonley and how he's managed to take care of himself through the years as well. Yeah, I, I know Shonley. Here's the other thing, too. It's like Shonley is... He ends up being the MC, or the you know he conducts the memorial service for too many of these guys. Dale Schluter, yeah. Jerome Kersey, um, you know Duckworth. Um, you know they're going to have the celebration of life uh, coming up in early July for um, Harry Glickman, mm-hmm. founding father of the franchise. I'm sure Sean Lee will be there. I know Terry Porter and some others are going to speak. But I think that you know I think about Bill Sean Lee, it There's a natural progression to life where we expect you know Jerome Kersey, Kevin Duckworth, you know, even Caleb Swanigan and Tony Saragusa to outlive people who are in their eighties and nineties. Yeah. And when that doesn't happen, when you see that happen with athletes, right. Especially, man, it's just jarring. You know? Yeah. I don't know. We gotta take care we take care of yourself, Peter Sampson. <laughs> Doing my best.
right now you should be exercising in place, <laughs> jumping rope. We should be hearing on air, like the hum of the hum of the jump rope, man. I'm doing some burpees right now. Right, right now. Yeah, he sounds a little, a little out of breath. But you know, like you gotta eat well, you gotta hydrate. You know, we had we we were talking recently, Anna. Do you remember uh, Dean Riddle, the uh, sports yes. science guy? Yes. Okay, we got to get him on the show. I know he was good. He first of all, he's got a fantastic accent. Yes. What is the accent? I don't know. I think it's an English accent. Probably. But I wanted you to say Australian, just so it's funny. <laughs> but but Dean is a expert on sports science, and he's worked with like Pete Carroll and the Seahawks and whatnot. He's the guy who tells, you know, comes in and talks to Chip Kelly. He's the guy who says, all right, you need this amount of sleep. You need this much water. You need, like, everything that, like, if he looked at my life, <laughs> he would be appalled. Because he'd be like, you're not getting enough sleep. Uh-huh. You are not hydrated. Yeah. You are. I was talking to Dean Riddle, okay, on Saturday. Yes. And as he was talking, I got a cramp in my hamstring. But I was embarrassed for Dean to know that I was cramping because I know I was going to get a lecture from Dean on you need to be more hydrated. You need to stretch out more. You need to like I was going to get all that sports science scolding all done to me. But I said to Dean, I said, you know, I'm not sleeping well. Like, you know, Mm -hmm. I don't get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. I didn't tell him you were shouting in Mandarin. Yeah. In the in the middle of the night, but I said I don't get a good night's sleep, and he says, "Well, what do you, what kind of exercise are you doing?" And then he got real accusatory, like I'm not, like he knows I'm not getting enough exercise, yeah. kind of tone. Yeah. And I said, "Well, you know, I'm riding the bike, whatever." And he goes, "Good, get on the bike." He goes, "Exercise more, sleep better." Next topic, like he was like, yeah. you know, so we're gonna get him on the show to talk about it, uh-huh. because and Matthew Hawk, who's the uh, Providence sports medicine guy, we'll get him on too. Yeah. Because those two guys were like tag teaming. Yes. Going, you need to drink more. You need to do this. It's like having your mom as a personal trainer. Yeah. But you know? if they could just give us a call every day and remind us of these things, then we would be so much healthier. I'm going to get Dane Riddle on tomorrow's show. Good. Do it. Guarantee that. But he was telling me, sleep, if you if you want to sleep better, you need to exercise more. Doesn't that make a lot of sense, though? Yeah. I mean, because if you don't exert yourself in the course of the day... When the day is done, like our bodies, if you go back to like caveman times, our bodies aren't meant to just be sedentary. I, I like how people say that. If you go back to caveman what? times. Yeah. Nobody wants to go back there. I'm not saying I want to go back there. You know what you did in caveman it. times? You'd crush it. Yeah. <laughs> you versus the saber-toothed tiger. You woke up. You woke, Was there even a saber-toothed tiger alive? Shh. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. You don't woke, check me on that. This is the thing. Historically, Anna, if you what? if you were in caveman time, yeah, you wake up, your days live in hell. <laughs> I mean, you're you're foraging for food, you are hunted, you your goal is to either get fire or keep fire going. Yeah, and you don't know what's out there. I don't know. It's a live in hell. But nobody maybe wants to go back so to caveman day. Cave women, we were just <laughs> gathering. We were just checking berries. We were gathering berries and make sure they didn't have mold on them. Do you think the uh, Do you think the cave men came home to the cave women and went, "What did you do today?" And then they <laughs> and went, like, "Look at my bounty That's of it. berries." That's it. <laughs> that took you all day. But they say, like, they they say that's why men, this is going to be massive generalization, but they okay. say, they say, don't you love when yeah. people start sentences that okay, way? Okay, just say what they said. 
They say that's why men, uh, they can't see, like, when they just take their socks off, for example, and leave them on the living room floor, they don't even see the socks because their eyes are trained to look on the horizon. And I'm looking for a threat. Yeah. Or fire. Yeah, you're searching for your Water. next uh, source of food. Some sticks. You know? Yeah. Yeah, but as the woman whose job it was to make sure we weren't eating moldy berries, I see the socks. Well, I'm glad and that socks. I'm glad we have you looking at the socks. Stick out. So that, that'll keep us alive a long time <laughs> uh, back in the caveman days. I'll tell you what I would do is out the caveman. I come part. home, I take my socks off at the fire, kick my feet up and go, you know what? There's, ti- there's saber-toothed tigers out there. <laughs> <laughs> you know how good you got it here. I'm not sure the, there were saber-toothed tigers. At the tigers. cave. I think I'm basing this off of, the, like, like Flintstones. Yabba-dabba-doo. <laughs> 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 We'll be right back. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we did a little research on the commercial break. (laughs) Turns out, saber-toothed tigers, the saber-toothed cat, the... uh, it lived alongside early humans. There so, you go. So you were right. Um, it uh, it did live long uh, alongside early humans. Early humans, maybe not humans like today. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's go to the phone lines. Tony's in Vancouver. Tony, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Yeah, John. A couple points. Uh, I went to school during the old principal give the SWAT routine there uh, okay. in middle school, uh, but he was diplomatic. You know, he either offered you a, you know, mainly it was for fighting. He, he swatted people for fighting. He, he would offer you a choice. You'd either take the swat or you would get suspended for a week. And the problem is I feared my father worse than I feared the principal because not only would I get the swat anyway, I would get a week of hard chores for the time I was gone. That was an easy choice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, I was more, I'd be more worried about my parents than the principal. Yeah. But as for Caleb, you know, I, I, the, tra- the, the tragedy of this guy was, you know, he was a supreme athlete, and, and you know, his father was 500 pounds when he died, you know, and I look at yeah. that picture of Caleb. He had to have been at least four bills. You know, I'm surprised that somebody didn't try to reel this guy in and get him help. I mean, he had the, the means to do it. He, made, he has a net worth of like $14 million. Yeah. So, you know, that's really a tragedy. Yeah, I, I've heard some things. In the last uh, 24 hours that, you know, I'm trying to verify, but it's evident with Caleb Swanigan that he was dealing with mental health. Mm-hmm. He was. And I really, I really think it's an opportunity for all, uh, for us all to kind of look around and, you know, I do think we, we have an obligation to take care of each other. Yeah. So if you peop- see people who are struggling, if you know people that are struggling, we know some of the signs. We don't know everything that's going on in everyone's life. But um, I think sometimes it's enough to, to let people who are struggling know that you care about them. And sometimes it doesn't have to be an obvious sign. Sometimes it can just be a feeling. I mean, I think most people aren't going to be offended if you reach out and you're like, hey, saw you. You know, at the coffee shop, 
seem like you seems like maybe something's a little off. You okay? Just check in. Or think about the people yeah. in your life that you haven't heard from at all in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, it's probably worth just kind of checking in. Shoot them a text. I was yeah, doing something with my friends early in the pandemic where I was doing a lot of, you okay? You good? You good? Yeah, I'm good. You good? Yeah. Like, that was via text. Yeah. That's me voicing the text. Uh-huh, that's but what you sound like. You good? I'm good. Do you, do women do that? Do you guys go, are you good? Or uh, or do you go, do you go, not just checking in, no. seeing what's going on? It's probably not that abbreviated. It's what is probably it? probably more extensive. Give us an idea. Hey, I haven't heard from you in a while. Are you doing okay? Oh, yeah. Guys aren't doing that. Yeah. D- there's definite differences. You think? Oh, my goodness. Speaking of generalizations, <laughs> did you see this? You know, several years ago, we had this story of Corbin University. Mm-hmm. Okay. They had a softball team. Okay. And there, in their game, there was a home run hit. Yeah. And the batter was at the plate, I believe was from the opposing team. And hit the softball, it went over the fence, and as she approached first base, she, and this is happens, I've seen this happen a lot, she hits first base funny, mm-hmm. doesn't, because she's looking up, Yeah. she kind of hits it awkwardly, goes down, broken leg, broken foot, whatever, mm-hmm. she's on the ground, she's in pain. Yeah. The first baseman for Corbin picked her up, carried her around the bases, Wow! let her touch them all. I was moved by that. I wrote about it. It's a good story. I'm also well aware that guys are not going to do that. You can't say they would never do that. Guys though. would never do Haven't that. Haven't we seen something similar in like track and field? Haven't we seen uh, competitors who were male? Let's sh- we have baseball games that happen every day. Yeah. Guys aren't going to do that. There's no guy that's going to pick up a player in the other team and carry him around the bases and let him touch them all. There's no way. That's not happening. They would reach down and have compassion and empathy, uh-huh. but I don't think you're going to see like somebody like Aaron, that happens in a Yankee game. Aaron Judge goes down. First base was not picking up Aaron Judge. Okay, they're not getting him anyway. But let's just say, <laughs> let's just say it's a normal sized human. Yeah. They're not picking that guy up and running around the bases with him. I don't know. I don't think so. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. You tell me, would guys do that, Peter? Are there girls watching? <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, look at him. He's a sweetheart. Astute. Bingo. I saw this happen. I saw something really kind of heartwarming and romantic that happened at a baseball game. Yeah. Uh, so this this uh, this outfielder for, I'm not going to name the teams because it just it distracts. It doesn't even matter. See, throws a baseball into the bleachers. Uh-huh. He's an outfielder. He throws a baseball into the bleachers after warming up. Mm-hmm. And this guy who looks like he's in his mid-20s catches the ball. Okay. And he sees a kid sitting three or four rows in front of him. And he says to the kid, hey, and he throws the kid the ball. Mm -hmm. TV cameras caught it. Really cool story. Guy's a hero. Every single lady in the crowd was like, I want that guy. Yeah. Right? Okay. Later in the game, guy hits a home run. The kid, who was three rows in front of him, catches the ball. TV cameras on him. Yeah. Going, hey, that's the kid. They got the other ball. Yeah. The kid catches the home run ball, hesitates for like a second, and then realizes, I have two baseballs. Okay. He takes the first baseball, uh-huh. turns back to the 25-year-old kid, yeah. and throws it back to him. All of it caught on camera. Yeah. It was like this great demonstration of <laughs> like code among fans, uh-huh. you know, and everything that's right with baseball yeah. or a sport. 
That's so to cool. speak. Guys will do that, Anna. Yeah. But if that if that that same guy is in a softball game <laughs> and Peter's rounding first base and he breaks his ankle, uh-huh. the guy's going to reach down and be like, are you okay, man? I'm so sorry. That really hurts. Let's get some ice on this thing. Somebody get this guy off the field. But he's not picking Peter up and cry, you know, carrying him around the bases while Peter's crying. There's no way. Would you even want that, Peter? See, that's the thing, too. <laughs> no. Would you even want that? You wouldn't want that, I, would you? I mean, I don't know if we can make it really dramatic, you know, like maybe get two guys, two, you know, one holding my no. legs, one holding my arms, and they just kind of stretcher me around. Yeah. I don't think so. Yeah. I, I don't think men will do that. You mean you would be you wouldn't want to be cradle carried or like on piggyback on another man's back around the bases? I don't think <laughs> just clarifying. I don't think men would do that. You know? Guys are different. I'm telling you, I think there's a track and field thing. I, I'm not a ma- right, here's another one. I okay, I'm I'm not a masseuse. Yeah? Okay. I've never talked to a male masseuse, whatever. I don't I don't have any data for this. But I'm gonna venture to say that the people who book the massages for those clinics, by and large, you get a lot of guys who say, I don't want a massage from another guy. Hmm. And I think women don't care. Woman, man, give me whoever. I don't understand that hang-up either. Well, it's the truth. That's why you come to the show, folks. B-F-F-T. Here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. I would love to get anecdotal uh, infor- unofficial poll here. If we have a uh, masseuse who wants to call into the show, I would venture to say massage therapist. A massage therapist. I would venture to say that a lot of mas- what do we call them? Clients, mm-hmm. patients, clients, clients. Are you a client? No. You a member of the club <laughs> or just a client? Um. <laughs> I would venture to say that the vast majority of men, if they would book a massage, I bet you more than 50% of men would say, I want a female massage therapist. Yeah, you're probably right. I'm just... So... But I think women, when they call to make an appointment... I don't think women care. I don't think I bet I bet ninety percent of women are going whatever's available. Yeah. First available. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Or whoever's good. Yeah. You know. It's a comfort thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm this just is saying. one of those moments where I'm just going to concede to you because I don't want to talk about it anymore. I know you don't. You're looking at me <laughs> and, going, and you're giving me the look like, are you going to get yourself in trouble with something you're about to say? Yeah. Well, I kind of always have that look. <laughs> That's kind of just a running expression on my face. I'm way beyond being careful with my words. Oh, I know. I'm just beyond. I I know. Okay? Yeah. So I just am throwing out theories. Okay? Here's three theories that I believe in. Okay. Okay. I believe there is a sea creature Uh in the ocean that is probably an animal that we think is extinct or we have never discovered. Okay? Okay. Okay. Second thing. That was top of mind for you. <laughs> that was the first thing you came at me with. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 
Go ahead, number two. Number two. Yeah. I believe in our lifetime. Did you get outside today? Yeah, I was okay. outside. Okay. What do go you ahead. Mean? What go does on. that have to do with go it? Go on. Number two. Sorry. I believe in our lifetime. My lifetime. Yeah. I which I'm gonna say the next fifty years. Uh-huh. We will see civilian travel to the moon. Okay. Right. Okay. Right. Like tourism. Tourism. Space tourism. Hey, you wanna go to the moon? It's eight thousand yeah. dollars all inclusive uh-huh. get some drinks and you get a yeah. you know you get a uh, play lunar a little, express you get to play a little blackjack on your way up and your way down i think that's going to happen okay third thing i think 51 percent of men if they were booking a massage would not be comfortable with another man massaging them okay peter yeah would you be comfortable with a male masseuse oh it's happened uh hundred times. I my first experience with massages. Uh, it, I got a great deal. It was a it was a massage therapist at a gym uh, that my parents went to, and so I'd get this sweet discount. I was a starting pitcher in high school, and of course the next day you can barely lift your arm. And I'd go, you know, forty five minutes. He'd work my shoulder and that whole area. So I, I was comfortable with it from an early last massage I got was from a is dude. That, is that sweet. a sports? No, but that's a sports massage. Um, it's a That's massage different. is a massage. But, but, but even since then, just getting it, you know, yeah, just give me the, the hour-long massage. I mean, I've had both. The best uh, shiatsu massage I ever had was was a woman. That was incredible, using the feet and stuff. But, I mean, guys, in general, in general, they got the stronger hands and the stamina. I got no problem with it. I think you're, But I think you're right, John. I bet the majority is. 51%. Yeah. Wait, I'm caught up on the idea that someone's feet were on you. I don't. Really? Is that what a shiatsu massage involves? Yeah. Somebody's feet yeah, on you? Yeah, it's that deep tissue. And so they'll get the, you know, they're working you with the hands, you know, your face down. And they have this, it almost looks like a, a pole in a closet that you're hanging, like a rack. And yeah. they'll get up there and they'll balance with that. And so you what? have this like 120 yeah. pound chick standing on you, like working you with your yep. feet. It's way more I've leverage. seen it. I've seen it too. Really? I've seen it done. I don't want anyone's feet on me. Well. Oh, yes, you do. Ew. Oh, but, you know, what if you don't know? What if you're just face How do you down, not you're know? half if, asleep? If and those are feet, they're like, I okay, would know. I'm going to get up there and I'm going to get my feet right on her back. They better have short toenails. <laughs> get, let me scratch your back there with those toenails. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> that was like the time. Uh, and I want to hear from you. If. If you're a, ma- I want a massage therapist to call in and confirm this or deny it. Either one. Isn't that kind of a a, a small focus group? I don't it's care. Purely ac- anecdotal. Yeah, but that it's still it's better than me just throwing it out there. Hmm. Like if a marine biologist was to call in and say, Kanzano, that we would not find a creature in the ocean that we haven't seen yet, and here's why. Yeah. And they talked all about it. Then yeah. I would feel satisfied. It's, it's a all... little more credible than your pure conjecture. Yeah, but these are things I believe. Okay. Yeah. Things I believe to be true. So I would love to hear from a line of massage therapists who tell me, no, 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 you're just you're being sexist, or you're not, you're you don't know what you're talking about. I think Peter's just more evolved than you in that way. I don't know if he is, but he. Uh, I believe he had a sports massage, which I think is different. I don't think the lights were low. I don't think there was uh, aromatherapy involved in this. He's alluding I mean, to had, hundreds of massages. Yeah, I've had that from dudes, too. <laughs> this guy, it's fine. It's a man of the 2020s. <laughs> the man of the 2020s. <laughs> okay, we're going to do the five kind oh, of important are? things going on at five. Okay. The five at five. Blazers made a trade. That has something to do with sports, so we're going to talk about it. 
The Portland Trailblazers have acquired Jeremy Grant from the Detroit Pistons. It's making news here in the Portland market. But it was interesting, when I went to ESPN to read about this, it was not among the top headlines on ESPN. And what I'm struck by is that ESPN is pandering to the NFL with a Gronkowski story and a Deshaun Watson story and the Brian Flores NFL story. There's just a whole bunch of that going on. Can we get a little love for the Portland market? Blazers getting Jeremy Grant from the Pistons. Oh, I just refreshed. They just made it one of the top stories. They just did. (laughs) Thank you, ESPN, for listening to the show. But here's the bottom line. Jeremy Grant goes to the Blazers. The Pistons get a protected 2025 first-round pick. There's some other uh, details being uh, worked out. Uh, For example, they're going to swap picks in the second round in Thursday's draft. Blazers will go from the uh, 36 pick back 10 spots to 46. Detroit will move up. And the Pistons will also get a 2026 second-round pick from the Blazers. This gives the Pistons $43 million in salary cap space for free agency. It gives them pick number 5 and pick number 36 in the Thursday draft. It strikes me that Detroit has to be happy with this trade, too. And so in this case, you've got the Blazers getting a player that they coveted to stick alongside Damian Lillard, may he heal. And the Pistons get cap space, plus they have two of the top 36 picks in the draft. I feel like we have a win-win. And a lot of times I look at trades and I go, somebody won it, somebody lost it. It feels to me like both fan bases are going, this is a good trade for us, which is really rare. Mm-hmm. Anna, number two in our five most important things going on at five. Loosely defined. Uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar reminding everyone that uh, he's still the all-time leading scorer in the NBA, and he only made one three-point shot. Is that really true? That is true. He said that on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. Yeah. How is that possible? Well, he's not shooting threes. Well, I know, but his whole career, he only made one three-point shot? Because if you're seven feet plus tall, and you got a sky hook and a good (laughs) pair of goggles... The last thing you're doing is standing out there at the three-point line, fogging them up, shooting threes. I guess. Is he the greatest of all time? Is that up for debate? Here he is on the show. I have the audio on the uh, Tonight Show with Jimmy. Steph Curry, uh, just making three-pointers, that guy is just unbelievable. never seen anything like that. When you were were playing, were there people that shot like that? Not like that. But, you know, they were good three-point shooters. We thought at that time, but uh, earlier on... you might get 10 three-point shots in, in, a, in a game. Now there's 10, 20 free, uh, three-point shots in a quarter. Yeah, exactly. You know, they, it seems like it's a, it's a free three-point shooting contest. But, yeah, you, you know, people enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they should. I, I, was the, I am still the uh, all-time leading scorer in the NBA, and I only made one three-point shot. <laughs> Got a round of applause for one one shot. He won six titles. He had six MVP awards. Worst case scenario, Kareem's like about the fourth or fifth best player ever. He's in that conversation. I'm just saying. Mm -hmm. He's not a three-point shooter. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. It's like asking how many dunks does Steph Curry have. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Not very many. Yeah. 
How many times did Steph Curry dunk this season, Peter? Oh, man. Uh, none. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing. What they should do is make Curry dunk and make Kareem shoot threes and see who wins. <laughs> I guess it's my turn? Yeah, it's your turn. Number three in our five at five, five most important things going on in the world of sports, kind of. Um, <laughs> what? Kind of. Red Bull Racing has suspended a junior driver, Yuri Vips. Is that his name? He's got a case of the Vips. Yuri Vips. They, he got suspended. He was doing a live gaming stream yesterday. He's 21. And he is a uh, Formula 2 racer. He was doing a gaming stream, and he used a racial slur during the broadcast. They have suspended him. They have admonished him. They say they have a zero-tolerance policy. He has uh, apologized. He said on his Instagram account, the language that I used was entirely unacceptable, end quote. It reminded me of the Myers-Leonard that's immediately what we all thought of. Thought. Yes. Yeah. It is. Is there a way back for Myers Leonard, or will he be forgiven? Will it be forgotten? Because you know we're watching him now. He's become a father. Mm-hmm. He's got a baby. Some time has passed. He's been away from basketball with injury, and then you know getting uh, released by his team. He He's hoping to get back. He was waived by the Oklahoma City Thunder last March. And then, uh, of course, Miami got rid of him. Peter, does Myers Leonard play in another NBA game ever again? I don't think so. I mean, I think a lot of the heat's died down, and he's certainly done a lot of work to uh, atone for you know those comments, and he's been forgiven. But ultimately, it's like any sport. It's a talent issue, right? And he's, just, he's a borderline NBA player at this point. You throw that on top of it, it's not going to happen. Saying he's working to get back into the league. He had ankle surgery a year ago. Myers Leonard, he's only played since the start of the 2020-2021 season. He's only played three games. Hmm. Anna. Yeah, it's number four. Well, uh, so Morgan Fox of the NFL apparently owns a French bulldog, and it's doing really well at the Westminster Dog Show. What? (laughs) That's John Strong's broadcast. I know. I know. So the two-year-old French bulldog named Winston, um, I guess, has made the finals. The final round goes down Wednesday night. So there's two more dogs that are being added. And now, I guess tonight's going to be the big determination of who gets best in show. So the non-sporting group uh, that Winston has apparently dominated... Hey, John, can... uh, (laughs) ...is being represented by Morgan Fox's dog, L.A. Chargers defensive lineman. So he's a proud dog dad today. So he's a dog dad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Isn't the story then just that Morgan Fox owns a dog? <laughs> that it's yeah. doing really well. In the dog show? Yeah, in the dog I still want to know why they won't let a pit bull into that dog show. I don't know that that's a true. I asked John Strong that on air. He oh. said he didn't believe they had pitties in there. There is a pit bull in there. There's a bull terrier. I don't think so. Okay, well. 
Well, Winston is up against Trumpet the Bloodhound, Hollywood the Maltese, and River the German Shepherd for now. <laughs> I got the Maltese. What about you? <laughs> finally, finally, number five in our five kind of important things going on. Diego Maradona. He died, right? Well, the eight people who took care of him before he died are being tried in Argentina for homicide. 236-page court document. The judge in charge of the case questions the behaviors of the accused. And the ruling says that eight people, including doctors, doctors, nurses, and a psychologist, they're accused of simple homicide. They will face homicide charges, judge ruled today, in the death of uh, Diego Maradona. Um, the uh, medical board that investigated his death concluded that the medical team acted in inappropriate, deficient, and reckless manner. Keep an eye on that. That's the 5 at 5. Sean Hyken coming up from Bleacher Report. We'll talk about the Blazer trade and the NBA draft. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, the Blazers made a trade. Maybe they'll make another one. Sean Hyken, Bleacher Report and the Rose Garden Report. Does a terrific job covering the Blazers in the NBA. Hyken's joining us now. What do you know, Sean? Uh, what was your reaction as the Blazers traded for Jeremy Grant today? I was a little bit surprised that it happened today as opposed because I, I just figured at this point that, you know, we would kind of wait to see how everything developed uh, Tomorrow night, uh, you know, as it got closer to the seventh, I never thought the seventh pick was going to be in play for Jeremy Grant, but I just figured that this would be a situation where maybe some of their deals that they maybe had lined up for, uh, you know, guys that they would be trying to get with the seventh pick uh, would fall through, and then they would just decide to take somebody with that pick and then use, you know, other stuff to get Jeremy Grant as their fallback uh, option. But I guess that deal just came together today, and it was, you know, for a lot less than I think a lot of people thought that they would uh, that anybody would have to give up to get Jeremy Grant, and so uh, I guess now they go in with you know at, at the at the very least they made one big win now move going into draft night. Really, you know, doesn't really matter what else they do with their pick or what or what else they do tomorrow. When you see Jeremy Grant in in a lineup, let's just assume Damian Lillard's healthy and he's who uh, who we expect him to be. How far away are they from being a Let's just say not just a bubble team participating in a play-in game, but you know how much more work, how much lifting is left to do. Well, I think a lot is going to depend on what happens in the next couple of weeks. If they're able to trade for OG Ananobi, for example, tomorrow, then you know there's a lot closer to you know being one of the actual teams in the mix in the West than if they you know they trade uh, or you know if they just decide not to make a trade, keep their pick, then you're probably looking at a play-in type of team. I know they're trying to do something with the number seven pick. I think, that, you know, there's a, there's a scenario where they make the pick, but I think they're trying to trade it. You have OG and John Collins are the two guys that you've kind of heard as the guys that they're targeting. But uh, 
I, I, I think if one of those happens, then, you know, it, it's going to be a lot easier to evaluate everything there. I think right now this is, this is the first step of whatever Joe Cronin's plan is in the uh, next couple of weeks. If this is the only big move that they make, then, yeah, you're probably looking at a play-in team. But if they do something else, then maybe they could be better than that. If they do, uh, Chris Haynes reporting that the, the Blazers are in pursuit of OG Ananobi. But if they do make that second trade, is it a signal that you know they're not at all interested in waiting around for a 20-year-old to develop? Like they, they, they're just trying to be as good as they can possibly be next season. And and how, if so, how does that strike you versus maybe building a little? That's been the signal the whole time. Is that you know they they let Damian Lillard basically take this whole year off to get healthy and address that ab issue. He hasn't given them any signal that he wants to be traded and, they, and, and or that he's looking to leave. And so they figure that while they have, you know, a top 10 player who has been the cornerstone of the franchise in the city for the last 10 years, their goal is to try to win now with him and try to, you know, build on his timeline as opposed to building for the future. And, and you know, I, I suppose they could try to strike a balance like, what the Warriors uh, were able to do this year where they had, you know, the, the old guard, the Steph, Clay, Draymond, you know, that, that group, Andrew Wiggins, and then also have some younger guys like Jordan Poole and Jonathan Kaminga and, you know, you know, try to win now while also developing guys at the same time. That's something that a lot of teams have tried to do over the years. And it's a very tough balance to strike. And you know, basically the Warriors team that just won the title is the only team that, that I can remember that's been able to do that successfully. And so I think that if, if, if given the choice, I mean, yes, maybe like the greater upside play for, uh, you know, down the, down the line would be to take somebody at seven and then not really worry about Dane's timeline. But when you have a guy like Dane, the whole point of having somebody like that is to try to win with him. And whatever you, you know, whoever you trade that pick for, whether it be OG Ananobi, John Collins, whoever else, maybe there's somebody else on the board that we don't even know about right now. You're going to get more out of that player during the next three or four years while Dane is still in his prime than anybody that you're going to draft with that pick. I think that's the thought process there. Sean Hyken with us, Bleacher Report and the Rose Garden Report. What are you doing with the Rose Garden Report? Covering the Blazers pretty regularly, kind of on a day-to-day basis, just doing a lot of it's kind of it's honestly not that different from what you're doing, John, with your new uh, website. It, it, you know, you're you're kind of doing like the independent columnist thing. I'm kind of doing the independent Blazers beat writer. Thing. I love it. You've gone rogue. That's what people are going to tell you. That's what they're telling me. I like the sound <laughs> of that. Uh, you know, it, look, Chauncey Billups. How does he fit in this? I always think about players, how they fit together, but also. I'm not sure who Billups is as a coach yet because I think he's still a young coach who's figuring out who he is as a coach. But, Sean, what do you see with Chauncey Billups and, and the addition of Jeremy Grant, uh, Damian Lillard, and the possibility that they add another veteran player there? I think it's when I've been saying this since this season went sideways, I think it's way too early to judge Chauncey, good or bad. You know, he's, it, it, you, you look at his record, it didn't look very good. But you, you do look you know, over the course of the season – there were, you know, some of those younger guys that they had, like, you know, Trenton Watford is a guy that got a lot of playing time after the season went sideways and got better over the course of the year. And from everything that I know, Chauncey has a good relationship with Dane. He has a good relationship with, sorry, with the, with the guys on the team. And, you know, he, uh, you know, it, it, it's similar in a lot of ways, I guess, to, you know, it looked like the Ime Udoka thing in Boston was going to be a complete disaster. The first, uh, part of the season, you know, he was doing a lot of the same stuff Chauncey was doing, calling out, you know, guys' effort after losses as a first-year head coach. 
And uh, then, you know, they turned it around. Now, obviously, that Boston team had a lot more talent than Portland did, especially after Dame got shut down and they traded everybody. But I think there's reason to believe that Chauncey is going to end up being a good head coach. It just kind of takes some time. And he's had basically nothing to work with this first year. He was kind of put in a tough spot by uh, the person that built the roster that he inherited that was expected to be a playoff team. You look back at the trades the Blazers made, and there were a lot of people upset. You know, C.J. McCollum, Robert Covington, Norman Powell. It was pennies on the dollar. Does it look better to you now after the Grant trade, or are these things independent of each other? This stuff all exists on a continuum, John. Like it, every every trade, you know, you can look at every single trade in a vacuum and say, "Oh, they didn't get you know enough back in this trade," but then you know this trade leads to this trade. I, and, you know, I think also in retrospect, New Orleans unexpectedly making the playoffs and Portland not getting that second lottery pick that they thought they were going to get in the CJ trade, that one, you know, that made everything of the deadline look a lot worse. And I actually just wrote this today in the column on the new site uh, that however Joe Cronin, however they got to where they are now with you know, the, the not ideal circumstances that uh, he inherited or, you know, some of the not great return in that trade and some of the stuff that was maybe out of the control, like the lottery you know, not going their way. This is what they have to work with now, and now he's going to be judged by how he's able to, you know, navigate, you know, threading this needle of, you know, he had limited assets to work with, and he's trying to uh, build around Dame and add talent. I think this Jeremy Grant deal is a pretty good start because they didn't really give, they didn't give up any players, really. They, the salary matching is just with that trade exception that they got in the CJ trade. They, the pick that they gave up is a Bucks pick in 2025, which, you know, with how young, you know, Giannis is still going to be in his prime at that point. You would have to think the Bucks are still going to be pretty good, so that pick is probably going to be in the 20s. So when your goal is to try to win now with a guy like Dane, who's in his early 30s, a pick that's not going to be a very good pick three years down the line is not very much to give up for a guy who you think can help we win now. So I think if, even if they don't do anything else, I think the Blazers are a better team going into the season today than they were, you know, four hours ago or however long it's been since they made that trade. And there's more to come. We'll see if any of this stuff comes to fruition just because they're pursuing OG and Anobi right now doesn't mean that trade is going to get done or that they're going to be able to do something else with the pick or that they're going to be able to get who they want in free agency or any of that other stuff. So we'll, you know, we'll see what ends up happening. Let me just play devil's advocate. I mean, the market for Jeremy Grant seems soft. Why? Because he's a uh, unrestricted free agent going into – he has one more year left on his contract, and whichever team uh, trades for him, you would think is going to have to pay him a extension, you know, something close – I don't know how the exact number is in front of me, but something close to, you know, four years, $100 million, somewhere around there, which seems like a lot of money for – Jeremy Grant, if you're Detroit, if you're in the early stages of a rebuild and you're building around Cade Cunningham and Sadiq Bay and whoever they take tomorrow night with the fifth pick, paying a guy like Jeremy Grant that much money to not be your first option is not really on that timeline. But if you're Portland, the idea of paying a guy that much money to be Dane's number two or number three guy while you're trying to make the playoffs and compete right now, I think it makes a little bit more sense and it's a little bit more palatable. But for to answer the question of why there wasn't more of a market for him, it's because you're not just trading for Jeremy Grant. You're trading for Jeremy Grant with the understanding that you're going to pay him what he wants to be paid on the back end of that. And, you know, there are a lot of teams that, you know, purely him as a player, they would be interested. But with that, you know, financial commitment coming in the future, it's not something that they uh, necessarily want to do. And, you know, Portland is one of the teams where, 
the amount of money that they're going to have to pay him for what they're trying to do right now actually does make some sense. We're talking to Sean Hyken, Bleacher Report, and the Rose Garden Report. No, oh, by the way, I'm a subscriber now. Uh, I love that you're doing something independent, and you've gone rogue. That's great. Sean, let me ask you, if they do pick at number seven, let's say they've got the pick, they're on the board, is there a position, a need, or what is your mindset entering uh, tomorrow's draft? Everything I know about what this front office's mindset is, not just Joe Cronin, who has talked about this, but also Mike Schmitz, who you and I have talked about before, who they just hired as an assistant GM and was a draft analyst at ESPN for a long time. They're in the position where they still, even though they have game and they're trying to win now, you have to just take the best player available and take the highest talent upside swing and then figure out the positional fit later. If they draft another guard and then you have to trade Anthony Simons down the line to make room for him, that's fine. You can get a lot for him probably. So as far as who they might take, you know, the guy that you keep hearing is Shaden Sharp, who would be similar, you know, kind of a similar upside pick that maybe would take some long, more time to develop and, also is a little bit less of a positional need. That's a guy that you hear a lot as kind of an upside guy who might be available in that range. Dyson Daniels, the kid out of uh, Australia who played for the G League Ignite uh, last year, is somebody that I have heard that they liked in the workout when they brought him in. So I would it, they, they, they'll have a few options, but I would expect that they don't end up using that pick tomorrow. Sean, this uh, this franchise needs 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 a fun season. I don't need him to win at all, but I need him to be fun to watch. I need him to to make the playoffs and, and give us a thrill. I think most people would see that as a huge step forward for a franchise that was – it was a dismal year. Like, is that a pipe dream, or do you think this that the way the NBA is set up today, that the Blazers could be a relevant team, a fun team, uh, enjoyable to watch just a year later? I think it's very possible. I think it, I think I, because of just how miserable last year was and how little we saw of him, I think people are already kind of starting to forget how good Damian Lillard is. Even still, I know he's 32 now, which in NBA terms, he's that old. He might as well just retire, right? But like, I think people, especially, you know, he just had this ab surgery, and he said that this ab issue has been persistent for him for three or four years. So if he's fully healthy now, Dame alone is going to make, you know, you're going to be one of the best offensive teams in the league. If they get, you know, somebody like, you know, if they were able to make this OG Ananobi thing happen, for example, and even like having a full season of Josh Hart, who's an upgrade uh, on the wing defensively, they're at least going to be competitive if they if they get a fully healthy and, you know, back to his old self version of Dame. And so, yeah, the I, I, I mean, it would be pretty hard to be worse than this last year. Let me tell you, as somebody who was at all 41 of their home games last year, it was, it was pretty rough at times. I think that yeah. at the very least, just having Dane back healthy, that that alone is going to give you something more to enjoy. And if they're able to do more than that uh, in terms of some of these guys that they're trying to target over the next couple of weeks, then just so much the better. I, I love it. Uh, how can people find uh, the Rose Garden Report? RoseGardenReport.Beehive.com. And there's a – it's it's – it's kind of, I mean, your, your, your listeners, I mean, it, it's actually good that I'm on here with you right now promoting it because your listeners are kind of already familiar with this model because it's what you're doing also. That, you know, you're, there's going to be some stuff that's for free. A lot of it is going to be paywalled. Uh, 
I'm, I'm writing, I'm working, actually, I'm going to hang up with you and write something on this Jeremy Grant trade that just happened. So that's going to go up later tonight. But yeah, uh, I think if you, you know, if you, if you know me and you know my work and, you know, covering the team over the, over the years, I think, you know, you, you probably know what you're going to get. And I hope that it's, it's going to be worth people's time. Look, I wish you the best. Uh, I, I, you know, when you said you were doing it, I, I uh, hunted it down and I subscribed. So Sean, keep up the good work and encourage people to check that out. Sean Hyken, thank you. I'll talk to you soon, John. All right, there he is. Blazers on the clock with the seventh pick tomorrow in the draft. Jeremy Grant in the uh, in pocket. And, you know, as you hear it talked about, and when I first saw it, I thought, well, there has to be more to this trade because I thought he, he's worth more than that. Like, why wouldn't they have taken a better deal from someone else? But when you consider the real possibility that there are some teams out there right now that are you know obviously not willing to uh take a take a contract where they're going to have to pay a guy 20 21 million dollars and know that they're renting him and also when you look at the kinds of players that the Blazers are in play for uh you know it's it, th- these are players that I think would fit nicely alongside Damian Lillard but maybe on other teams where where bigger stars are playing in those positions, you you know you don't necessarily uh, think that there would be that much interest in a Jeremy Grant. But if he has a nice season, the Blazers now become uh, a real possibility to to uh, sign him and retain him. And if he doesn't, then you know you're renting for a year. I, here's my thing, and Peter, help me out with this. My expectations are so low. I just want this team to be fun. Is that possible? Can they just be fun? Is that going to be enough? Yeah, I I think that Sean kind of hit it on the head, too, where already people have sort of forgotten about Damian Lillard. You saw it with the Golden State Warriors. When Curry had the broken hand, they sat him out. Already people were like, well, we don't know what Curry's going to bring. Uh, yeah, it turns out we do know that. I think Dame's going to be similar. And I think I expect them to make the playoffs. Do I expect, expect them to get out of the first round? Eh, probably not. But I think after the year we had, that's enough for the fan base just to actually have something to cheer for for a year, then after that the expectations will climb again. There you go. I want your phone calls on this. You want to talk about this trade? Feel free. Weigh in now at 503-417-7575. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, today is, this is going to be a historic show, Peter. Do you know why? I do not. Well, you're on the board. You should, you should have been, you should be tuned into this. Do you know what I've done today? The first time in a long time? Hmm. I've been on time today. (laughs) That's Every segment. Yeah. (laughs) Every segment. That's beautiful. It wasn't intentional. It wasn't. (laughs) It, It wasn't like somebody said, hey, you need to be on time. I just, in the first segment, I was trying to be really careful to stay on time because um, it was like we had a guest coming at 3.30, and I thought, well, I don't want to be running behind in that second segment. So I got out on time, and then the Jeremy Grant trade happened, and then the guest came along, and then uh, top of the hour, I have to be out. So all of a sudden, I was like a guy who had uh, been throwing like a one-hit shutout, and I was like, well, let's just keep it going, keep throwing strikes. Uh, I'm going to stay on time. Uh, I'm also going to remind our listeners that you can grab a podcast of the show anytime, anywhere, any place. You're taking a flight, you're taking a drive, 
you can grab a podcast of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. This is one of these things where we're not. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not going to ask you to to pay for anything. I'm not going to ask you to make a sacrifice. Uh, the podcast is done as a courtesy to you. Uh, we love to have it widely available. I love listeners of the show. I love new podcasters. I know more people are podcasting. I'm not going to bore you by explaining to you what a podcast is. I had uh, I had a couple years ago, I had uh, an editor tell me, she says, uh, is your podcast a national podcast? And I said, what do, you, what do you mean is it a national podcast? She says, it is available nationally. I said, what are you talking about? All podcasts, by their nature, are global. Like, you could be in Helsinki and listen to the podcast. In fact, we have listeners in Helsinki. I know this because we get the data. Uh, we have listeners all over the world. So I'm not going to bore you by telling you what a podcast is, but if you have an Apple iPhone, I don't know if you have uh, – by the way, it's one of the most annoying things ever when one of your friends does not have an iPhone. Peter, do you have an iPhone? No way. Yeah, because I go to text you, and I have to pull my phone out. I can't, like, shoot you a message on iMessage on my laptop because you're not available. So I, it, it's one of these things. If you have an iPhone, here's what you do. You go to the Purple Podcast app. It's purple. It comes preloaded on the phone. It's generally on the second page when you uh, scroll through your apps. And um, you just click on it. And then in the lower right corner, there's a search function. Makes sense? You search for bald-faced truth. You won't even get to truth. It'll give you the bald-faced truth. And then click subscribe. That locks us in a relationship. Now, all this summer, it may be hot. It may be cool. The days may be long or short. I don't know which. Uh, wherever you may be, though, you can get the podcast. And it will keep us connected whether you are, you know, I heard today from a school teacher who said the end of the school year, you know what that means? It means I can't listen to your show live on my way home from school because we're on now 3 to 6 p.m. statewide. Well, what you can do is you can get the podcast of the show if you are not able to catch it live. Of course, if you're listening in Eugene on Fox Sports Eugene, 1050 a.m., shout out to Steve and the team. I'd love for you to be able to listen to the show live, or if you're listening in Klamath Falls, love that you're here and you call in. If you're listening in Douglas County and, and uh, in Roseburg, uh, I love 14:90 a.m. I love that you're able to get the show, or 7:50 the game in the Portland area in Southern Washington. Love that you can get it live. But if you need the podcast, what I'm saying is the podcast will be available to you. Grab it, utilize it, whatnot. Uh, we are uh, we are a day away from what will be a pretty cool day in the NBA. Now, I know the NBA is not for everyone, so part of tomorrow's show we're going to talk college football because it's what I like to talk about. And I'm not going to lie. Like I said, I kind of tipped my hand earlier, and I, and I frankly tipped my hand this morning when I you know, sent out my newsletter and wrote at johnconzano.com. But if, if you are a Blazer fan who's hoping that your team can get to the NBA Finals, I need you to pump the brakes. Okay, it's it's cool that you have ambition. It's cool that you have hope. I'm all about raising the bar, but I believe that the first step here for the Blazers, the natural step of progression, progression, so to speak, for the Blazers, is getting to a point where they have an enjoyable, fun, relatable, uh, carefree season. I just want the fans who are paying to go see this team play to not 
finish the year and go, oh, I didn't go to any games because it wasn't any fun. Don't do that. Really. You don't need to do that. And and uh, I, I talked to a season ticket holder just the other day who told me uh, that he had season tickets. He said he barely went last season. That's sad to me. It's not just that it's a waste of, of you know hard-earned money. It's that you bought the tickets hoping that the team would be worth a damn, and then you realized in the end it's you know it's just not all that fun. And he told me he's not even like a diehard basketball person. He told me that the it just wasn't fun to be at the arena because the team wasn't good, and then therefore the crowd wasn't into it. Therefore, it felt like it was kind of a dud or an afterthought or maybe people were at the games watching the opposing team or whatnot. I don't know. Whatever the case may be, I feel like uh, I just want this team to be enjoyable and fun to watch. And I think, you know, there are different tiers. Like, I, I think I, I said that a year ago about Oregon State football. Wanted them to get to a bowl game, see what Jonathan Smith could do. They got to the L.A. Bowl. That's cool. Now this season feels a little more tense to me. Feels like the Beavers need to step it up. And for Oregon, Dan Lanning, it's different. I just want to see the identity of this team visible and the identity clear. So there's that. Now, Peter, am I on time still? Yeah. Like, I, I could take this all the way to the end? Uh, Well, no. No, <laughs> we I need a break. break. Yeah. Well, then I just blew it. I was supposed to be out four minutes ago. Don't jinx the no-hitter, man. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> I was looking around feeling like, oh, I got a wide open ten minutes right now. I don't. Damn it. not. All right. We'll be right back. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good stuff on today's show. We had great guests today. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune, joined us in the first hour to talk about Kyle Whittingham and Utah. Like, yeah, they got it locked in. They played in the Rose Bowl. They lost in the Rose Bowl to Ohio State. Probably should have won the game. Very disappointing for the Pac-12 Conference that had an abysmal and historically bad uh, bowl season. Uh, is there a fire in the belly of Utah football? That's a question. Uh, can they can they duplicate what they did a year ago without Devin Lloyd on the defensive side of the ball? Lost probably their best defensive player in some time. Uh, you know what else? Uh, can they get another great season out of Cam Rising? That was a uh, uh, you know a big time uh, blossom moment for for Rising in the Utah offense. Uh, the one thing that Kyle Whittingham has going for him that nobody talks about is he's got himself and he's got his coordinators, Morgan Scally on the defensive side of the ball, Andy Ludwig on the offensive side of the ball. They're all coming back. So they have a lot of continuity in that coaching staff. I talked to Whittingham on Friday last week on the phone, and he's just so salt of the earth. He's so kind of locked down in a position where he's just like, you know, he's not going to talk any trash or – what not? He's just he's just sort of you know substance guy, you know. He he basically just said, "We got to keep it going, we got to keep this thing going," and I think that's the position that Utah is in. Sean Hyken joined us uh, earlier this hour. 
He covers the NBA, the Blazers in particular. There's some stuff to talk about in the NBA right now. We have a draft coming. And that's another thing. Like, no, look, I, I keep crowing about I just want the Blazers to be fun. I want them to be fun. I want them to be enjoyable. I want if somebody says, hey, I have some Blazer tickets, people to go, oh, I'll take them. Because right now, this last season, it wasn't the case. But I also want them to be fun because it gives us one more big thing to talk about. I am sick of talking about bad culture in the front office. I'm sick of talking about uh, bad actors in the organization. I'm sick of talking about injuries and heartbreak and draft busts. And I'm sick of talking about that stuff. They're, I want this franchise to be good. People have, have long told me or said to me stuff like, you know, Oh, you must like it when they're bad because it gives you a bunch of fodder. Hell no. I'm looking over at the San Antonio Spurs media contingent for years there for about a decade, looking at the Warriors media contingent in the last decade, looking at you know the people in Boston this last season. What a wonderful ride they got to go on. I would like to go on a ride. I would like for you guys to be swept up into the euphoria. Blazer mania, people putting uh, stickers on their cars and placards in their windows again and waving the flags or hanging the flags outside their front doors. I'd like to see more kids walking to school next season and in a Blazers jersey, bring that pride back. I'd like to. I like some of that. Thank you very much. Like you know, there's there's part of me that's it's envious of that. Like think about how early the NBA season ended here in Portland. It felt like. It was over, Peter, maybe about January 15th. Yeah. It was done. It's no fun. No, it it was just brutal. And this city comes alive when the Blazers are good. And I don't just mean reaching the playoffs, but I mean they're good. It's a feeling that is really kind of unique. And I'm with you. You look at these, you know, these media members in these other markets that have had success. Man, it just selfishly, it makes the job really fun, too. Yeah, that too. So, yes, I would like for them to be enjoyable. I'd like for them to be fun. Thank you very much. I like the Beavers and the Ducks in college football to be the same way next season. I, um, I'm i excited. I think we're at this this uh, this strange but fun point in history. It's a very transitional time with all of those franchises. If you think about it, Jonathan Smith and Oregon State seem to have it going, but they need a continuity year. They need a bowl game. And it would be nice if they could get in a bowl game and win a bowl game, right? Uh, an improvement of the L.A. Bowl uh, experience from last season. And, and play better on the road, right? So they need a step forward. Transition. Dan Lanning in Oregon. Uh, it's his first year. They're transitioning. Uh, after going from Mark Helfrich to Willie Taggart, they're now going, uh, you know, they went Taggart to Cristobal. Now they're going Cristobal to Lanning. It is, it, that's happened in a blink, it, by college football standards. So Oregon, we need to see Oregon, you know, get the paddles in the water and start paddling. Like, we want to see some progress from Dan Lanning. And then, uh, you know, the the Blazers, it, they've got a draft tomorrow. And, you know, it may very well prove that they are focused on veteran players trying to win some games next season, trying to get some fans back inside Moda Center and, you know, and and – you know, take one last crack at this with Damian Lillard. Maybe that's the plan. Seems to be the plan. But I still think it wouldn't be a bad thing if Joe Cronin has to pick tomorrow at number seven to just make a hell of a pick, like the Boston Celtics did, like the Warriors did over and over and over again. That's the kind of franchise, those kinds of moves make franchises fun.